93. Accra. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, my neighbor. Good morning to life. Good morning. Music. Talk. Inspiration. In perspective. Express yourself. Good morning, my neighbor. City FM. Your station. It's a refreshing lifestyle. City FM. 97.3. episode of your favorite current affairs and political analysis program the big issue my name is Godfred Akutobwa for your host and it's been a week where labor agitations protests and the potential for Ghana's sports have been laid bare Utah go on strike some universities have called off examinations what is going on there seems to be a stalemate government refuses to budge university teachers are also refusing to budge is there potential for more strike action on the horizon we also in the course of the month one would say heard the matter of uh, tuc who as members uh, a concerned group at least said they were dissatisfied with the terms of a negotiation uh, reached between their executives and the governments that gave them a four percent increase in the minimum wage so it looks like uh, we should uh, get our loins for what seems to be a protracted uh, pass between the two sides also this week well we were given a glimmer of hope but it did not happen ghana the olympic games uh, we are returning home with one medal which is more than we we can say for the past since 1992 at least um, but it has shown the potential for more what can we do to be able to reap uh, success at these significant international uh, sporting events also on the table uh, this morning, we had the fix, uh, the country demonstration uh, this week after months of, uh, one would say, arguments in court between conveners and uh, the police service. That uh, protest came off this past Wednesday. Uh, what did you make of it? And has it achieved its aim? We'll try and break down what this is all about. All this and more coming up on The Big Issue over the next three hours. 
issue and uh, if you want to be a part of the conversation as always it's an interactive show so you can join us via whatsapp lines we have two of those 0549-986-996 0549-986-996 you can also join us via 0550-58-5832 for those of you who prefer to tweet yes we also on twitter at city973 is the handle the hashtag is the big issue you can also reach me on my own twitter handle at godfredakutoboafo at east sportsman uh, you can tweet at me and i will happily respond to your comments also on facebook uh, city tv ghana and city973 you can check out those happily read your comments we are streaming live there as well so feel free to share your comments with us and if you do miss out just go to our youtube channel city tube c-i-t-i-t-u-b-e subscribe very important always good to have you subscribe and join us uh, so that you get all the notifications as soon as we post uh, exciting footage from all the fair that is on city tv you can just go there type in the big issue and uh, you can catch up with whatever episode of the program that you have missed so that's uh, a well-rounded program for everybody I, I i have a very loaded uh guest list this morning to discuss uh the issue of the strike but before we do that uh let's just catch up with the whole uh situation that has engulfed uh, the teaching front uh when it comes to their terms of conditions and uh, there are negotiations with the government. So uh, we had a meeting between the government and uh, UTAC, and that meeting ended inconclus inconclusively. So the situation has had a severe impact on academic activities in various universities across the country. Uh, we've had the Ministry of Employment and Labor Relations uh, try to engage the University Teachers Association. Uh, that was on Tuesday. Uh, we will hear from the national president of UTAC, Professor Charles Marfo, uh, on what happened during that particular meeting. After that, we'll also hear from the Deputy Employment and Labor Relations Minister, Bright Rekubrobe. For us, our issues are very clear. We just think that if anybody calls us and says that, yes, you said restoration, we are restoring you today, tomorrow you call of the strike. Nobody has told us that. Although, I see some people in government appreciate our position and they claim that, yes, we are indeed telling the truth. Nobody has made any offer. What I can really say is that there has been some goodwill that uh, we should come to the table. Unfortunately, this is the same table we have been on for a long time and nobody saw any seriousness to see to us. It means an intensification of the disruption of the academic calendar. I mean, every organization or human institution set up a timetable or a schedule for itself. And if uh, what is not planned for that time table happens, like a strike, obviously there's a disruption. So yes, there has been a uh, significant amount of disruption. The position of government is also that, you know, we operate a single spine for which you tack is on the spine. And therefore, uh, it's rather a holistic review of the spine and not singling them out to do this alone. So this is the position of government. This is what has kept on, you know, and they are saying that for them, their salary has eroded so much so that they think that government should do something about it. So we can't do that in isolation. That has been our, our argument because apart from UTAC, all kinds of workers are also on the spine. And therefore, when you are doing this, you need to do it in such a way that 
everybody uh, and the salary would be looked at and not necessarily singling out that of UTAC. So at tomorrow's meeting, uh, the committee will be set up and then uh, the terms of reference will be developed by both parties and then uh, if work starts, I think that UTAC members can help us fashion how we should go about this. The commission uh, is inviting them to the commission to settle the matter, help them settle the matter. They were before the commission, and in the course of um, hearing, um, they agreed upon the request of one of the parties. All others agreed that they will go and have the matter settled out of the commission and report to the commission. So we granted them the opportunity to do that because we want a rather peaceful I mean, resolution of the matter. Yeah, so that is what we give them the opportunity to do. So ordinarily we expect that uh, if things did not go well, they will come back to the commission and have the matter continued. Unfortunately, the ANUT said that if it is not settled, the government does not agree to certain terms. They will go on strike. And that is what they did. That's why we have invited them properly. When parties are negotiating and they hit the rock, it is either for one of the parties or both of them to come to the commission, inform us, and then the commission takes over the adjudication process. So you heard from the university teachers, you've heard from the Deputy Employment Minister and also the position of the NLC. But the Senior Staff Association of Public Universities Ghana uh, also says that it is doubtful uh, that this engagement with governments over their grievances will yield any fruitful results. So uh, we will hear from Mohamed Zakaria, who is the National President of the Senior Staff Association. And in fact, he will be in with us in the studio, but you can hear from him now. And then you will also hear uh, from the NLC again on that particular matter. We told, we didn't miss West, we told the National Labor Commission that if they give directives and they don't enforce it, this development will not be good for industrial democracy in Ghana. And that there's likely to be a spillage. And we have gotten the full assurances that this time around, that the government side was reminded that they have heard me emphasizing that the National Labor Commission failed to enforce its directives on the government of Ghana when it flouted its 28th general ruling. The business of calling off or sustaining this right is determined as the National Executive Council But you are the chairperson of Yes, I know, but you cannot be autocratic in some of these things because the laws are there. Hmm. That the National Executive Council meeting will, I mean, the members of the National Executive Council will have to come together and make a determination on the matter. In the case of the Senior Staff Association, most of their issues have even been resolved uh, through negotiation. The outstanding, ones, eh, the outstanding ones, they tell the Commission that there is room for engagement. They are the petitioners, and they are saying that there is room for engagement. If there is room for engagement, then the Commission endorses it, that yes, if there is room for engagement, go and what? Engage. However, whilst you are being engaged by negotiation, you have to start work. You don't lay down your tools. You see, wearing of red and bands, lockouts, strikes, and others are not allowed during negotiation. So if you be appearing before the commission, I've told the commission that there is room for engagement. Yes, we allow you go and engage. But this time, the difference is, in order not for the uh, 
negotiation or the time to be in final. Mm. We have given them time. Mm. Within one month, that is by the 8th of September, they are to conclude negotiation and by the 15th and finally to the commission and on the 15th appear before the commission. However, President of the Senior Staff Association of Universities of Ghana, Zakaria Mohammed, says they would have to meet with their National Executive Council to determine whether to call off their strike or not. That's why this time around, we told, we told the National Labor Commission that if they these directives and they don't enforce it, this development will not be good for industrial democracy in Ghana. And that there's likely to be a spillage. And we have gotten the full assurances that this time around, that the government side was reminded that they have heard me emphasizing that the National Labor Commission failed to enforce its directives. And the government of Ghana, when it flouted its 28th January ruling, the business of calling off or sustaining this right is determined as the National Executive Council. Yes, I know, but you cannot be autocratic in some of these things because the laws are there. But the National Executive Council meeting will, I mean, the members of the National Executive Council will have to come together and make a determination on the matter. But Deputy Minister for Employment and Labor Relations, Bright Rekubobi, was confident the association will comply with the directives while they came up with the favorable solutions to the matters at hand. Yes, the senior staff uh, are also going to call on their strike and we are hopeful that academic work will start in earnest in the investors from uh, the, the, the directive is immediately and let's hope that from tomorrow uh, the, the lecturers and the senior staff will be up. So I am glad that it's a win-win situation. Uh, none of the parties have lost. We are still going to engage for them to get what they've been asking for or uh, for, for government to also do for them what I think we can as well. Well, at the end of all these negotiations and strikes, of course, are the students. And we also caught up with the students to ask them how they are coping with this situation. If this fight is not brought to an end between UTAC, Senior Staff Association and the government, we, the university students of Ghana, are the ones who are going to suffer. For we have already suffered due to COVID-19. Our academic calendar has been distorted and we do not even know when the academic calendar is going to resume since this strike, as earlier alluded to, is an indefinite one. Therefore, we take this opportunity to tell government that it is high time they showed more seriousness in this matter. If they do so, it will be better for all stakeholders for which students are number one. In the meantime, the University Student Association of Ghana, in all humility, would want to appeal to the leadership of the unions, University Teachers Association of Ghana, Senior Staff Association, to consider the plight of the Ghanaian student and unconditionally withdraw, suspend, and call off the industrial action while negotiating with government, labor union, and other stakeholders on their demands. Academically, we are being affected because this was supposed to be our, our last week in school for us to start examination next week. 
but now we us at this time we don't know whether we are going to start the examination next week or probably it would be postponed the strike has been affecting us as a student and we are supposed to start exam next week but right now we don't know what's going on and the campus is just empty there's nothing all classrooms are closed libraries who are closed and we don't know whether we'll be writing exams or not so we are pleading on, on the government to settle our lectures so that work can begin for me personally everything is going on normally studies and everything is going on as it, as it should be for me personally i don't know for others but i think that it will be best if everyone just continues with the process just in case maybe the strike is cut is called off before exam starts on monday which would be best so that everybody is prepared for the upcoming exams on monday Okay, so that's, uh, the issues have been placed on the table all in perspective and uh, we can try and make sense of it. Uh, I've tried to balance out the panel this morning on this particular matter. So I'll be doing this conversation with Dr. Edward Kopon, who is the Chief Executive for Wages and Salaries Commission. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Thank you for making time uh, for us on the big issue. We also have uh, Zakaria Mohammed, whom we just heard. He's seated to my left. That's now Chairman of the is it national chairman or president? Yeah, national chairman. National chairman, yes. okay. Senior Staff Association Universities of Ghana. And Dr. Samuel N. Nkumban is the University of Ghana's UTAG president as well. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Yes. Uh, we'll also be joined by Senor Ejabing, who's a labor analyst. He'll join us via Zoom. Franklin Kujo is lurking around, uh, as always. Uh, he will join us for the second and third parts of uh, the show. So let's me begin this conversation, I guess, from the aggrieved party. So Dr. Zakaria, I will start from your side and uh, Dr. Samuel and Nkumban's side. For our listeners, what exactly is your problem? Yes, thank you so much for having me. The problem has been um, four problems. One, we had bitterly complained about um, Fairways and Salary Commission inability to uh, review our conditions of service since 2008, which according to law is supposed to be reviewed every two years. And the second leg of it has to do with government refusal to pay the then tier two pension arrears ranging from uh, 2010 to 2016. And uh, the third one, has to do with uh, non-basic, uh, uh, we are talking about market premium and non-basic other ones. Now the fourth one had been heard by the Labour Commission and that has been kept on a hold. The government attempt to migrate public universities onto the controller and accountant uh, 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 payroll. We had raised certain challenges and those challenges were not addressed and we protested that we were not going to be part of the migration. I think the National Labour Commission has handled that. So we are still talking behind to see how we submit our report comprehensively to the National Labour Commission and to then look into the matter and see whether it is feasible for the universities to be uh, uh, pushed into the controller account and general payroll. Okay, so that is your leg uh, of it. That's the senior staff association. Yes. But this was started from your side, uh, Dr. Uh, Inkumban. Are your issues the same as theirs? Well, no, not, not exactly, but of course, we, we've had to engage the National Labor Commission on issues pertaining to payroll migration as well as uh, harmonization of our explanation scheme onto the Senate platform. 
uh, those uh, underway. I think the Senate issue is resolved, but the one pertaining to payroll is still pending. But in the, in the, in the current situation, it's got to do with our conditions of service by way of um, uh, basic pay, market premium, uh, non-basic salary allowances, book and research allowances, and all other kinds of uh, conditions under which we work as uh, university uh, teachers. And so uh, on the side of government, there are payroll allowances which are government-related. Uh, and then, we, of course, we also have internal matters that we need to handle within our various campuses. And so with government, it's got to do with uh, basically our basic salaries, uh, market premium, and, and so on and so forth. And this has and been ongoing for two years. Well, nearly three years, because uh, the proposition to government was submitted sometime in 2018. And so, like my colleague said, if it's for every two years, we have to renegotiate our conditions. And what we submitted to engage government with for negotiation has lasted nearly three years. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, consider that document as dated. And so we probably should be revising the figures we have in that document. But have, have the engagements over the past two years been fruitful? Has it looked like progress was being made? Well, for over a year, we never held a single meeting uh, on grounds that government was uh, studying the document that we submitted to, to, to it. For a whole, you didn't get any form of feedback? There was, there was, I mean, we kept doing some follow-ups and the responses were that they were studying the documents and that they would uh, call to engage with us. Mm. I should think sometime November 2020, we had a first meeting at which we drew up some rules of engagement. And then we went into the elections, appointment of ministers. Ministers were not in place. And so towards April of uh, this year that we effectively began to communicate or to converse on, on the issues surrounding our conditions of service as uh, put forward to government. Mm. And in these meetings, I mean, from April down the, the line, uh, we got to the end of the road last week, Friday. Uh, that was, uh, not too sure what the date was, but last week, Friday was probably when we uh, got to the end of the road on grounds. You, you, you went for the meeting and felt insulted. Well, basically, that is the we felt at that point that there was no negotiation ongoing, and uh, and so what it was was that I come to the table and say this is what I want, and the response we got was rather a query as to where we expected the money to come from, and I don't I don't think that that is negotiation, and so uh, at that point for Utah. That was the end of the road by way of negotiation, and so there was no negotiation ongoing anymore. That was the response you got? Yes. From? From the Minister of Finance. From the Minister of Finance? Yes, please. And so you went and the resolve was, we are going on strike. Before then, we had already notified the Labor Commission, for example. Um, we gave a deadline of June ending. Mm -hmm. uh, Mid-June, we got some engagement with uh, the government team. Mm -hmm. We arrived at some agreement regarding uh, some payroll allowances to which we signed an MOU. Aside that, we also indicated to the government team that the remainder of the items, which are the basic salary market premium and basic salary allowances and book and research allowances, we needed to conclude those by July ending. And mm -hmm. so considering that we had been on the table from 2018, 
if by end of July we didn't get any uh, conclusive decisions, we would have to take the action that we have uh, taken. And notification was given NLC. Middle of July, we sent a reminder and there was no intervention from NLC. Um, we continued the negotiation until the Friday, as I indicate, what mm -hmm. transpired. And so that was where, apparently, we felt that uh, our, our to case didn't matter anymore. And so there was no negotiation. And so we had to uh, declare as we did. It was interesting, and Dr. Zakari can also come in on this one. Listening to the Deputy Labor Minister, Dr. Uh, Mr. Wright, who said, basically it looks like via interpretation you're asking for special treatments because this, there's, there are single spine considerations here. And it's a, there's a holistic review that is currently ongoing that your groups are aware of. So why don't you compromise, for want of a better word? I hope it's a good word. Again, <laughs> compromise. Again. No, wait, let me just finish. Compromise for the entire reform of the program. Why do you want your situation to be isolated whilst there's a holistic review ongoing? Yes, again, that is the problem. We had pointed this one out to the Foreign Society Commissioner. We were in this country when we invested heavily on the single spine salary policy. And the purpose of a single-spine salary policy was to, based on the fact that organized labor had complained bitterly that there were disparities in salaries. Mm. And because these disparities were there, government of Ghana decided to uh, come up with that policy. And the policy sought to cure the salary disparity among public sector workers. A laudable policy that we all appreciated. Then government went behind and then began to um, award market premium and non-basic allowance and further widen the gap between the labor force. For instance, senior staff association. ICTI don't take market premium. But if I am posted to any of the university clinics today, or, 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 or the hospitals, then we are giving market premium. But well, that, and that is what has happened. So if we were asking them, what was the purpose of even going for single spine salary structure? Then after that, you now begin to select and choose those who are supposed to benefit and see that you are giving it to those with critical skills. They started with critical skills. It was limited to, to, to a UTAC. And we left it at that. And when we made argument, we were told that it was for academic staff. And because we are non-academic staff, we do not have any business to complain. We went back and sat on the table quietly until Gawa made another argument. And they were considered. This time around, there were not also academic staff. The government is also non-academic staff. So we came with again and said, look, first your argument was that we are giving it to only uh, people in the academia. That uh, you have now awarded it or you have now extended it to Gawa. So give us. Then another argument came again here. We are not senior members. So it is limited to senior members. We went quietly. Only for government again to, to award premium, 15% premium to Closac. And these people are also senior staff like us. From the chairman on board to the baby on board, we're giving. Letters have been set on them, copies of which I have. So we begin to tell government that this kind of unscientific discrimination should not be the case. Because on what basis are we going to say that, I mean, <laughs> are the senior staff or public universities who should not take? Look at where the argument began. And that is the problem with this single spine uh, 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 salary policy that was invested. So, in fact, and the painful aspect 
again is that while we begin talking about the non-basic allowance and metal premium, government was referring us to 2013 uh, uh, white paper. That's what to say that <laughs> the business of seamless pine and uh, non-basic allowance should cease. Nobody should talk about it again. And that is not going to happen because the salary disparities will go on. Because if you are going to say that, well, the category that we're given, I mean, we are all Ghanaians. I mean, we don't go to different markets. Their wives and our wives go to the same market. Mm -hmm. Then you now pick market and you add premium. My understanding, my name, my understanding is that you are just adding power to the purchasing uh, power of the, the, those who have been considered for the market premium. Then you begin to ignore that of the senior staff cater. I think that should not be the case. And that is where the problems have come. If government had left it at the single span salary uh, mm -hmm. policy, I'm sure this confusion would not have arisen in the first place. But for them to say that, oh, we want everybody, now the gap is even more wider than it used to be. So what was the people, what was the objective of the single spine uh, salary policy that this country invested so much money into? Those mm. are the questions we're asking the authorities. Okay. Dr. Depo, hold on for me a second. I'll, uh, Dr. Kapoor, sorry, I'll get to you. I just want to clear a few things up. So <laughs> is that your understanding of the situation as well when it comes to the single spine and the deputy labor minister's conversation that why don't you just wait for a, a holistic review at least well, from what he's saying you are benefiting already well generally the, the point is that i mean as we engage with government it became obvious that the single spine pay policy has uh, spanned over 10 years and that there is a need for a holistic review mm. um, that is aside the point of our engagement with government regarding our conditions of service we've done a true analysis of our conditions of service from the year 2008 until now and we realize that we are worse off by over a CD equivalent of $1,086. On grounds that... How did you work that number? Well, of course, the point is that in, 20, in 2003, Utah agreed on a roadmap with government that by close of 2008, the entry point of uh, a PhD going into teaching would earn a salary of $1,500 dollars payable cd equivalent okay and then when the single spine pay policy was implemented we secured also a 114 percent of basic salary as market premium and so if you were to put the two together which is in the year 2012 thereabouts, then you are looking at the entry point of a phd into teaching at a, 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 a minimum of uh, $2,084 payable in CD terms. Now, as we speak, from 2013, government had a responsibility to conduct a market labor survey. For which reason, and that would determine who really has critical skills that are required by the state for which premium should be paid. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so the market premium in 2013 got frozen until date. And so if you were to do an analysis of 114% of basic salary in 2013, as against today, the market premium now stands at 54%. So there is a depreciation of over uh, 46%. And then you look at the fact also that following the concept of de-dollarization de de of the economy, uh, the 1,500 entry points no longer uh, prevails. Mm -hmm. And so you put together today the market premium component, which now stands at 54% of basic salary, and the entry point of $1,500, which has depreciated, 
you now are looking at an entry point of $997. And so the, the difference is even more than what is given to somebody to take home as a salary to live on. And that is what we have that the, These are the analysis we've done, which we have shared with uh, our stakeholders on the side of government. And we are indicating to them that this is not a new uh, negotiation. We are not asking for any increases in our conditions of service. We simply are saying that on the basis of the depreciation that has occurred, we would be better off if you were to restore us to that level where we were in 2012. Okay. And so that has been the, 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 the side of uh, UTAC. And we've been going back and forth on grounds that many of the meetings that we have had to attend, either some part of party of government is not present, and so a quorum is not established for us to be able to have a conversation, or that uh, in many of the instances also, the reps that come from some of the uh, institutions are not in the capacity to make firm commitments that are binding or would be binding on government. Mm. And so we've been going back and forth. Um, let me uh, place on record that, and to commend uh, the Minister of uh, Employment and Labor Relations and his deputy, they are almost always with us. Uh, but we've never had the opportunity of having the Education Minister, the Finance Minister, on the table until the last week, Friday. Oh, that was the... That was the first time they were appearing in the... Uh, engagements. And that was also your last And that meeting. was also the straw that broke the camel's back. And so, um, frankly, we, we, we feel that it's not a new negotiation for us to think about in terms of the fact that you are thinking about a holistic restructuring of uh, the single spine pay policy. Neither is it the case that we must wait mm. until April next year, as was indicated, uh, indicated to us on Tuesday, that negotiations of basic salary, non-basic salary allowance, market premium has to be done by mm -hmm. the public sector joint negotiating committee. And so for us, that, is, uh, that was neither here nor there. And that is where we, we are. There was a court ruling yesterday, right? Does, uh, that, does that have, are you abiding by that? No, we, we, got, oh, notice. Like we got notice from uh, NLC on, uh, on uh, uh, an indication that there was an injunction on the uh, strike. The reality is that UTAC is not on strike. UTAC has withdrawn teaching and related services. Okay. And There's a difference? Like, yes, there is a difference. Explain. If we were on strike, the reality is that administration would not happen and students would have had to vacate their halls of residence. The deans of students, the heads of department, the hall masters and tutors will not be at post, mm -hmm. and in which case the universities should be closed down. So you are appointed to do teaching, research, and extension services. And we've drawn teaching and related services. We are still doing our research. We are doing administration and other extension services. As I'm seated here, mm -hmm. I'm engaged in such extension services as required by my appointment. I, I've seen stories of some universities saying their exams have been postponed or canceled or suspended. Yes. Exams are teaching related. Said. Oh, okay. And so when we talk of teaching related, it has to do with going into a classroom to teach, okay. setting questions, invigilating exams, marking scripts, okay. and processing exam results. So, so those are teaching related so the activities. So the interpretation of what services. has happened is, well, we are not on strike, so this 10-day injunction is on what exactly? It's on what exactly. That is the question. Aside that also, point is that we had notified Labor Commission from June, mm. sent a reminder in July, and also that on Friday when we hit the snack and had to 
make the declaration. Before then on Wednesday, we had had a press conference mm -hmm. at which we made this uh, obvious clear that we were going to take this action if nothing mm -hmm. happened by close of July. Okay. And by close of July, nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Now, we also had an invitation to uh, be at the National Labor Commission mm -hmm. on Thursday. And at the same time, mm -hmm. we got a call up from the Ministry of Employment and Labor Relations to engage with the government side. And that is what the Deputy Minister of Employment was talking about. The, in the letter, the indication was that we were meeting to put together a committee that will interrogate the matters that were on the table from the side of UTAC. Okay. Now, we go into this meeting, and then government side uh, shift the goalpost a bit, and it becomes some form of uh, a negotiation on grounds that basic salary, market premium, non-basic salary allowances cannot be touched but that they could do something regarding the research, research allowance, which is uh, what UTAG solely enjoys. And so some propositions and counter-propositions were made on the side of government and on the side of UTAG. And what we requested of government was for us to take what they were putting on the table back to our general membership. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, with due respect to the people we represent, and also in the spirit of leadership, if you were sent to the market to go and buy an object you don't get, and you get something that is similar, it will be fair that you go back to the person who sent you to say that, I didn't get what we were looking for. This is what I, this is what I got, which looks like what you were looking for. What do we do? Um, so for us, the propositions that were coming from government on the day were things that we needed to go back and engage with our general memberships in relation to whether or not it was something we could uh, accept and work with. Mm -hmm. But they, didn't, they wouldn't have that. And that they wanted the leadership to sign onto that which they were proposing, which we had not accepted and had made counter proposals which they had not accepted. And so that was how the, the, the meeting ended. So impliedly, we are on ground zero. There's nothing on the plate. Interesting. And so that is where we stand. Dr. Uh, Dr. Zakaria, were you also part of the court? Yes, we were, we were invited by the National Labor Commission. Mm -hmm. And um, we appeared before the National Labor Commission. And they also uh, made a ruling. <laughs> and it was interesting. The ruling was that they are directing us to stay action and report to work immediately. And that the, um, the parties are given up to um, a month. We don't wait to finalize the conditions of serving with the Fair Wages and Salary Commission and also to uh, finish the computation on the interest of on the 2010 to 2016 uh, amount that was paid by government. Mm -hmm. That sum up to 41.35 million Ghana City. Because um, when they did that, we had issues with even the National Labor Commission and Doc was just on point. I think the whole agitations, I can say that National Labor Commission have really played a role in this current labor unrest that we are seeing in this country. They are fully responsible. They cannot be exonerated. I did not miss West when I went there. I told them. You see, their neutrality has been brought into question. And mm. that is it. Oh, no, yeah, I, but I that's, a, that's a serious statement. I, I, made, I, made it, I made it clear. You see, the problem is that, Akutu, this is a commission that has the powers of a high court. And we brought our matter to you on the 21st of January 2021, between us and government, 
we look into the matter. Then we made a ruling and gave government up to um, uh, uh, three months, which elapsed on the 31st of March 2021. And even when it was about to elapse, we had written on the 21st of March 2021 to the National Labor Commission, reminding them that looking at the posture of government, it was not possible that government was going to obey your directives. Watch out. You needed to enforce your supreme authority on government. And we indicated that on the unlikely event that government disrespect the directive that was given by the National Labor Commission, we were going to embark on the strike. In fact, it elapsed and nothing, no punitive action was taken against government. Government flouted that directive. And that was what brought us to the 18th May declaration of strike at the KNUSC. Interestingly, when we met there to declare the strike, it was that day, a day before, that the Tier 2 pension areas was paid by government. Now, you appreciate the fact that the Tier 2 we are talking about, and I'm saying that National Labor Commission has not been neutral, and I'll let you know why they have not been neutral. Why is it that when government is respected the directives, they didn't take any punitive action against government? But we have already indicated to you that if government failed to do the needful, we will go back to strike again. Now, when, we, when government was busy violating it, they were in com comatose, as if they, didn't, they were not existing. It was only when we declared strike, then they were up in arms against us. That is not fair. There must be industrial peace in this country. And National Labor Commission has a responsibility to do that. Mm. And uh, when we declared this current strike, interestingly, the chief executive officer of National Labor Commission, I pointed out at the commission when we went, was heard in Kingdom FM saying that he has gone round to test and realized that our strike, both UTAC and senior staff, is not effective. And that oh. some of our members have started teaching, a recording of which I have. I told the commission what I'm telling you, I told the commission when I met them on that day. And I and the and the host called me and I asked, but then he has left. So at the commission I asked, what are his job description as? Chief Executive Officer of National Labor Commission. You are supposed to be an arbiter. You are supposed to dispense justice, be fair, sincere, between us as union and government. But when you begin to push your, your, your strength towards government and allow unions to suffer, this is what we are going to witness in this country. At that recording, he indicated, and I asked him, at the commission, I asked him, your job description does not include monitoring and evaluating the efficacy and efficiency of strikes is outside your job description i mean description and because he said that it caused confusion among our rank and file as national chairman i have the responsibility to launch an investigation into all the 16 campuses that i have senior staff because what is it that i as national chairman I do not know that the strike is not effective and you knew that I was going to appear before you why must you make government think that my strike is not effective. The Utah strike is not effective. Some of the teachers are teaching and they are this. I, I, I think that is not right. Hmm. That is not right. Interesting point there raised by Dr. Zakaria. So now yeah, I can... If I may just add very okay. quickly, that on the I'll side of... i to put everything together before you come in. Yes, that on the side of Utah, mm -hmm. um, after the Tuesday's meeting, we indicated to the National Labor Commission that the invitation extended to us to come on Thursday to meet them. It was not going to be possible because uh, Wednesday was a holiday. Members who had traveled from other campuses, say Takwa and other places, needed to go back. 
and to engage with our members on the Thursday and Friday, and that we were available for a meeting in the coming week. Now, for us to, uh, we didn't get feedback on that. And even in the letter of invitation, reference was not made to the notifications that we had given the NLC, but rather that they had read in the media that we were taking the kind of action that we declared on Friday. We found that to be somewhat strange. strange. And so for us, we have the view that the NLC, like he said, um, it, it, NLC needs some uh, element of introspection of its own processes and structures and the performance over the years as to whether or not indeed they have been an independent autonomous body that has the responsibility to dispense justice when it comes to labor and rest and dealings with government. They need that introspection. Because, let me say for a fact that the public is losing trust in the fact that this independence of the Labor Commission is what it is that is functioning. And they should be willing to resolve matters between labor unions and governments amicably rather than trying to gag us by running to the courts to secure injunctions in the manner that they've done in the case of Utah. Because we indicated to the Labor Commission we will not be able to come on Thursday because of what transpired on Tuesday at the ministries. And that we would want to uh, go back to our constituents to let them know what transpired at the ministries. And then we would be in the position to engage with the Labor Commission and government if Labor Commission wanted to intervene. Only to be uh, uh, said by, that by an injunction that we needed to go back because uh, whichever way on Friday when he was engaged on Joy News, the executive secretary, he said clearly, they asked him a categorical question as to whether they would say that UTAC uh, withdrawal of services was illegal. He said we had duly notified them and they, they wouldn't say that, but that they were going to have a meeting and to determine the course of action. Only for us to be served with an injunction. I don't think that is fair. Mm. Okay, thank you very much. So you've heard from Dr. Samuel Nkumban, uh, University of Ghana's UTAC president, and then uh, Dr. Zakaria Mamed, sorry, who is the national chair, uh, Senior Staff Association Universities of Ghana. You have to be quite careful with, <laughs> <laughs> with the, with the rules. They're listening to, to the uh, big issue on uh, 90... 7.3 CTFM also on uh, City TV. Keep your messages coming. I want to go to uh, Dr. Edward Kopon now, uh, who is the chief executive of the Fair Wages and Salaries uh, Commission. Dr. Kopon, I, I won't go to the NLC side of the matter with you. I don't think it will be fair to <laughs> direct NLC problems at you. But listening to uh, Zakaria and Dr. Inkumban, it does sound like there is a propensity for your side of the table to unnecessarily stretch conversations and create uh, a certain mist around these conversations. And that is what has led to the strike that we have where right now students are crying. Perhaps this could have been resolved if you had been a bit more proactive. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for the opportunity and thank you for the invitation. I've listened to both of them. And, uh, like you said, rightly so. I shouldn't be commenting on uh, NLC's uh, poster in this protest. So I'll veer away from that. Yes. Yeah. I don't know whether to start with UTAC or to start with Senior Staff Association. You can choose. 
with UTAC, um, we negotiated with them on their conditions of service. Uh, you know, conditions of service uh, has two legs, salary, the basic salary, and then the allowances. We negotiated with them on the allowances and other privileges and came to a conclusion on 15th June uh, 2021. And on the basis of the understanding and agreement reached, we signed off a memorandum of understanding on the 16th of June. In that memorandum of understanding, due cognizance was made of the fact that a standing committee was going to be set up to uh, resolve all our standing issues, particularly research allowance. And so we were taken aback when all of a sudden they said we are not making any headway with the negotiations, we are not showing good faith, and therefore they were going to declare strike, uh, strike action. They know, look, you know, that we signed that document. And so when we met, uh, when we threatened strike action, I even mentioned the fact that oh, there are residual matters to deal with. Mm. If you are mindful of that, and we are setting up a committee, or we have a standing committee to handle those matters. So with that, why are they threatening strike action? Then they say, oh, no, no, that, that one we can put behind us. They are more interested in their salary that has eroded over the years. And so we said, oh, but that is a whole national issue. That's a whole national issue that we need to pay attention to. And that in 2017, an interministerial committee was set up to review and overhaul the whole Senate's uh, employment policy. The report has been prepared and is with my minister. And so if you could put that one on hold and look at other matters, then they said, no, 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 our salaries are eroded. And I said, but you sign on to the memorandum of understanding that established the Public Services Joint Standing Negotiating Committee, which meets every year to determine base salary for all public servants who draw on the consolidated fund. So why this sudden, you know, uh, change of heart? And they said, oh, no, no, there was a roadmap drawn that the, the lecturer should receive a minimum of uh, $1,500 mm -hmm. per, 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 per month. And that was in 2008. Mm -hmm. 2010, we all moved, we all migrated onto the single spine pay policy. And so that whole matter of dollarization was dropped and we all moved. In order to make uh, some compensation for possible loss of uh, uh, income by that process, we introduced even the interim market premium, which for the lecturers, and he rightly said so, added an 114% percent to their salaries. So at that point, they didn't complain. And so the two have been running side by side up until 2012, when government realized that it was not sustainable. So there was consultation amongst all the stakeholders. Including them? Yes. So if you read the white paper, the 2013 white paper, government extended uh, uh, appreciation to organize labor for the manner in which they agreed to the, the freezing of the interim market mm -hmm. at um, 2012 levels. So that is what we have operated all these years. We appreciate the fact that the erosion is affecting their pocket. And therefore, in 2018, we met with them, negotiated on the um, interim market uh, premium. 
and agreed that a lecturer will take an absolute amount of 600 Ghana cities. Mm. And then we scaled it up and down, which we did. And that's been operating since 2021, January. It was on condition that we're going to also conduct a labor market survey, which will then determine scientifically which skills uh, are in short supply and yet critical to the needs of the nation. Okay. That, that process, that exercise is ongoing and they know we have explained to them. In fact, they have even raised questions with the manner in which the instrument, the questionnaires were designed and that they should have been involved in designing the questionnaire. We said, fine, no sweat. They are also not happy with the way it was administered because we went to the administrators on campus with the registrars and the director of it to give them the questionnaire to administer and return to us. They Could this not have been done via the leadership of the unions? Sorry? Could this not have been done via the leadership of the unions? No, really. This exercise, you go to the employer oh, okay. right, and give them the questionnaire to administer. Okay. We organize a session to explain you know, the processes involved and then they call it and bring it back to us and then okay. we analyze. And remember that the matter of market premium is something that the employer determines because he, he he is using these skills and he thinks oh this skill is in short supply that i need them badly let me add a little premium so i can attract and retain it's not for you know the employee to go to the employer and tell the employer i need a market premium it's not fair if you are talking fairness mm, mm. then 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 the, the the employees or the unions are not being fair to government but even there, negotiation involves compromises here and there. So we are entertaining them and pleading with them to allow us to conclude the labor market supply on the basis of which you will determine which skills are really in short supply. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, as we speak, we all know that the situation in 2008 is far different from the situation today in terms of skills availability on the labor market. We have a lot of doctors around, we have a lot of nurses, a lot of engineers. So it's, it's only fair that we exercise uh, restraint and conduct this process and conclude. Some jobs may no longer be in, 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 in short supply. Others will be in short supply. So it's a whole um, scientific basis for determining or pruning those who are currently enjoying market premium. Mm. They have been patient so far and we are happy that it should allow us to conclude that process. Have you do you, do you have a particular deadline in sight for this? Oh, when we met, I don't know whether you were there, Doc, but we said that hopefully within six months it will be done. Within six months? Yeah, because it's something, you know, we go into the field, we capture data, we pick the data, we come and analyze, draw conclusions, and then finalize the report. Mm. In all this, we may even have to engage stakeholders for them to be with us and co-own the, the final product. And so we don't want to rush. Within three months, perhaps, the technical bit will be done. But you okay. need to engage, you know, the stakeholders. And so, right. so we are on course. That's company. Yes. Uh, so let me uh, indicate that on the issue of the labor market survey, mm -hmm. we have waited forever. We have waited forever. He said it's going to take us six months. I'm saying that we have waited forever. It's not the first time. Because the point is that even when we started this negotiation and labor market survey, came up as a, a matter of concern regarding why we still are where we are. And given that the market premium has been frozen since 2013, we offered to support Fair Wages and Salaries Commission to engage 
the this conduct of a labor market survey in the sense that they they started the process we had issues with the instrument of uh, investigation right and we so they that didn't fly we put together a committee barely three it's about three months now when we started engaging effectively a standing uh, a technical committee that will support fair wages with the development of the instrument of assessment mm -hmm. which would give us the results that as we speak that committee has not held one meeting whose fault is that <laughs> the one who has responsibility to do the labor market survey. That? Okay. It is the one who has responsibility to do the labor market survey. So if the one who has responsibility is telling me today that I should expect it in six months, how can I guarantee that? And also that in 2018, when we were given the non-basic salary allowance and an increase in the uh, research allowances of 500 per year, it was for a two-year period, by which time this should have been done so that we, we can use that as a basis to negotiate. As we speak, that has not been done. Okay. Uh, something intrigues me. I don't know whether Fair Wages had anything to do with the diversified payments because he said, well, initially you said when the single spine came, no, nobody was getting market premium. Then based on uh, a certain description, Utah got it. They didn't mind. Then Clocks had got it. They didn't mind. Then Gao got it. They didn't mind. How come that kind of arbitrary payments have happened around them? Because it seems to be a very significant concern That's for right. them. That's right. All right. Um, Closer, I'll start with. This is not an interim market premium or market premium. It's a retention premium, which they negotiated with government and court. Mm -hmm. So it's outside the framework of the interim market premium that came with the introduction of the single smart pay policy all right now the purpose of the market premium was to attract and retain and so at that time in the wisdom of government we identified certain skills particularly in the educational sector and the health sector doctors uh, senior members of the tertiary institutions and extended to them Actually, we should have named it market premium, mm. but we, we qualified it and said interim market premium in the hope that with time we will conduct a proper scientific research and determine who should benefit from this. All right, and so that is the whole uh, story about the labor market survey. One was conducted in 2014, it didn't see the light of day, and so another one was commissioned and it's gone back and forth. Now, we have collaborated, Fair Wages collaborated with the Ghana Statistical Service to conduct this exercise. Halfway through, their attention was drawn, or their energy was directed towards the census. And so it's not like government went back to sleep and they have just woken up from, you know, a slumber to now talk about the labor market. It's something that has always been on our, our, our plate. All right, then. Uh, let me just take a quick break and then come back. Uh, Dr. Sakaya wants to be heard. We'll also hear from uh, Senor Ajabing, who's been observing everything on the sidelines. Uh, he joins us via Zoom. He's a labor consultant analyst. Uh, tell us what he thinks about this whole situation. The big issue will be right back. <music>
bets there. Everyone loves betting there now because they have highest odds, fast deposit, cash out, and even insure your bet. What's even more exciting about one bet is that you can make money from things like virtual games, basketball, horse racing, and more. So head up to onexbet.com.gh and use the promo code BETGH for 200% bonus on your first deposit. OneXBet, bet for every taste. Gambling can be addictive. Bet responsibly. Not for person under 18 years. This advertisement has been vetted and approved by the Gaming Commission. Are you 
Plus is a delightfully delicious option whenever and wherever the occasion calls for milk. For your quick meals on the go or quality time at the dining table, jazz up your favorite Gary Soakings, Mash Kinky, cereals, and all hot and cold beverages with a creamy, protein-rich option of milk. Creamy Plus evaporated milk with vegetable fat is all you need to stay on the go. Creamy Plus evaporated milk is now available in a shop near you. Creamy Plus Evaporated Milk. This message has been vetted and approved by the FDA. It's a good day to meet every challenge. It's a good day to want more out of life. It's a good day to wish for it, work for it, go get it. Familiar taste, a delicious indulgent with a flavor you just can't hide. Refreshing energy gives so much for so little. For a strong performance, you've come to the right place. Good day energy drink. Why wait a minute to enjoy a good day when every second counts? Good day energy drink keeps you going. Excessive drinking can be detrimental to your health. Not recommended for persons under 18 years, lactated mothers, pregnant women, and people sensitive to caffeine. This advertisement has been vetted and approved by the FDA. We are trying to make sense of the uh, labor agitation on the teaching front. Uh, I have Mr. Senor Jabing, he's a labor analyst. He will put everything in context when I'm done. So, Mr. Jabing, just have patience with me whilst I deal with Dr. Edward Kapon, Chief Executive for Wages and Salaries Commission, who's been explaining their side of the story. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have the, NLC, the NLC here. They've been fingered severally by both. Uh, the UG UTAC president, Dr. Samuel N. Kumban, and Zakaria Mohammed, National Chair, Senior Staff Association, Universities of Ghana. So, yeah. Dr. Kapo, back to you. You've explained the UTAC side of things a bit. Except to say that mm -hmm. by way of um, showing good faith, mm -hmm. even when we're unwilling to touch the, the base pay or their salary structure, we said, well, why don't we explore the possibility of increasing the level of research allowance so that it will cushion them against the perceived hardships or mm -hmm. the apparent hardships. So we drew up a four-year four roadmap where we were moving the, 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 the rate from a certain amount, which I do not want to mention on, mm. on, on air, Certainly. to well, a significant amount by 2014. And so we were, oh. sorry, 2024, when we hope they also show uh, goodwill. But unfortunately, the the usual approach, uh, democracy, let us go back to our constituents and explain to them. Mm. We gave them two hours. We stayed. The two hours? Yeah, the minister stayed put in the conference room. They went back. But that was enough. Oh, no, no, virtual. They said virtual. They could reach out to the various uh, chairmen in, the, in okay. the zones or in the regions, which they did. They came back and said, unfortunately, they don't have a consensus on the matter. And so, therefore, um, they, 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 they wouldn't agree, which we found to be very uh, uh but, but sitting uh, but sitting here i must say me, me two hours 
is not enough time. No, they requested for they requested for the two hours. Let me let me clarify. Let me clarify this. The we have selected twelve people who are on the negotiating committee on the side mm -hmm. of UTAC. And then we have a national executive committee which is made up of four reps of all the universities, public universities. And so when the proposal was made, we said that we needed to meet with the executive committee of UTAC, which is the elected officers of all the campuses, and to say to them that this is the proposal that had been brought. And at that meeting, which was via Zoom, we agreed that the proposition is fine. To make it appealing to our members, let's let it begin with effect from this year. Government will not have that. And so even then, even if government was to say that we would want it to begin with effect from this year, 2021, it's a three-year roadmap, 2022, 2023, and 2024. Mm. And we say that let it be effective 2021. And then we can take it back to our general membership for consideration. And that was not acceptable on the side of government. It will, it will not begin 2021, and they will not give us the, the time to go back to our general membership. And like I said in the beginning, you can send me somebody to the market. I don't get what the person wants, and I won't go back to the person to say that I didn't get what you wanted. This is what I got. Would you like it? Okay. Point well made. Unfortunately, we did not impose the two hours on them. They, in their own wisdom, said, we need two hours. We are going to use technology, reach out to them, and come back. When they came back, they said no. They didn't give any precondition. It was in the course of the conversation that they said, oh, are we starting this year? And we said, oh, in the course of the negotiations, before we signed off the MOU, we had agreed that instructions had been given by finance to pay the, the, the current rate for this year which they accepted. And then we all agreed to set up a standing committee to look at all outstanding issues. So indeed, they have not shown sufficient good faith with government. <laughs> okay. Now let's deal with uh, <laughs> Zacharias, Zacharias uh, issue. Yeah. Now, the first point they have is a problem with your organization, so this one you should answer. So according to them, you failed to communicate feedback on their counter-proposal to government uh, we had a deadline of what, Wednesday, seventh yes. July. July. That was last month. You did not um, do that. They suspended their strike action on eleventh June, mm -hmm. on a promise you made yes. to them. Yes. But they didn't hear from you again. Yes. Uh, like I said, in industrial relations, apart from the formal communication, you know, black and white. At times we speak to them. Yes. And so when we couldn't meet the deadline of the 7th, we indicated that the following week we were going to meet them. And quickly we wrote to that effect. Zach, you remember? We wrote inviting you for a meeting. All right? Now, when you give deadlines and you keep extending them, deadlines are never deadlines. And then I'm saying this that um, at times we need to clear certain issues with our principals. Um, and when the principals have not given you a clear indication of what they are capable of allowing you to mention you don't rush ahead of them to mention figures and then in the end they will ask you but who gave you the mandate so at times you are careful how you proceed mm. and you know government machinery is very bureaucratic when you write at times it takes even a letter from one agency to another department can take like four days before the the, the, the officer 
the shadow officer uh, looks at it. So we have been explaining this to them. I keep calling my good friend Zach. Um, he promises calling me back and he doesn't call, but well, it's part of Yes, but basically, apart from not engaging them regularly, uh, if I should admit that, mm -hmm. uh, or state that without admitting, there is this matter of non-basic allowance, which they have been pushing for. Originally, they were not entitled to the uh, interim market premium. But then when they said their counterparts in other institutions were benefiting, we were able to convince government to say, well, let us extend it to them. And we've given them a hoping 8% for starters. Mm -hmm. That they say no. And for fear that other unions will jump on the bandwagon, we even changed the name to you know, university senior staff allowance. And what government is prepared to offer now is 8%. And I think I'll use this platform to appeal to him and his members to accept that for starters. And then with time as we engage, you know, negotiations, uh, it's a process rather than an event. So we'll keep talking, we'll keep pushing and see what we get for them going forward. They're also throwing something that is to do with hazard and research allowance for their members in the laboratories and all that. Mm -hmm. We have not said no, but we're saying that at the point when we were introducing uh, the single spine pay policy, we conducted job evaluation of all jobs. And at times, the fact, the environment in which we work is taking into account in scoring the job. Mm. So if you don't take care, you'll be doing double counting. So from the point of view of government, then go back to the job evaluation and let's see what outcomes will, will, will be reached. And then we'll take it up from there. So for me, with this, we thought we could make progress, sign off, so their members can at least benefit from those that we have agreed upon, and then move on. Alright. Zach, your quick response is that I yes. go to uh, Mr. Jabin. Thank you so much. If I get it right, what Dr. Kwapon sought to say when he was explaining to Doc that the uh, reason for terming uh, the market premium as uh, interim market premium was to enable the government to do proper market survey. You heard him say that. Labor market survey. Labor market yes. survey. Yes. So do I take it that senior staff of poor universities are victims of improper market survey that was conducted by government? Because even in his own definition, it wasn't proper. And then you have determined and ruled out that of the senior staff cadre. And then the business of you uh, uh, is he, uh, taking those of our colleagues in hospitals and for instance, if I move from biodiversity, where I work in UDS, you see, at the Faculty of Natural Resources and Environment, and I move to the clinic, then I become a critical skills pro provider. That is unscientific. Because human resource is my background. Mm -hmm. Then because of where I work, I'm not qualified for market premium. And even that market premium, according to him, was not properly done. It was an improper survey. That's why it was called interim. So put us all in the interim, and then we move on from it. And then the non-basic allowance also, non-basic. The one we made with the government, high-powered government, uh, uh, government uh, high, high-powered uh, delegation. The understanding was that they were going to fuse the two. What we were supposed to have taken as a result of market premium and non-basic allowance. That was our understanding. That's why we have been resisting all this work. And that the two coming together will now be senior staff allowance. First, it was senior staff special allowance. Mm. Once we were at it, they said they were not comfortable with the word special, so we dropped the special, then we left with the senior staff allowance. Now, to sort 
to hybrid the two. Market premium and NBC allow and still gave us eight percent. We thought that was not right because everybody who enjoyed the non basic allowance took eight yeah. percent. So why would you hybrid the two and still think that senior staff should still go with that eight percent? That was the bone of contention. But at the at the at the at the at the, at the, at the national labor uh, commission hearing, it was made very clear that government is now sorting to decouple the two. And I'm saying that if they decouple the two, we wouldn't have any basis to say that we will not accept the 8% and basic allowance. Because research has it that nobody, no union, no staff across public sector uh, workers have uh, been able to get more than 8% and basic allowance. That one I know as a matter of fact. Okay. So that was the challenge. So that has been made clear. And I think that we will be comfortable accepting the 8% non basic allowance without market premium. That was the point. <laughs> but to, so to say that you are combining the two and doing those things is, is, is going to be problematic. Right. And again, talking about the, the, the deadlines, Doc also mentioned it. I think we need to be very firm and fair when we sign agreements. Because these days, when you go to sign agreement with government, you, you, you are not very sure. Because talking about agreement, is here. When we were on strike, the high power government delegation met us on the 19th of uh, May. 2021, we signed on to an agreement. He was there. In fact, the, the, the Director General of Ghana Tertiary Education Commission was there. Controller Accountant General was there. Minister of Education was there. Minister of Employment and Liberation, they were all there. We signed on to 60 days agreement that we were going to use the 60 days. We didn't need to finalize all the concerns that we have been raising. In fact, it, uh, 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 an agreement that we were so pleased with, except the point four, where they sought to say that to call up the strike immediately. And I told them the business of calling up the strike invested on the national executive council like doc was saying i have also been sent i cannot be an autocratic leader i need to mm -hmm. get back and, and brief them so we brief them then we uh, uh, communicated back to government that our members are saying that they cannot call off the strike and that was the basis yeah the system days also elapsed on the 19th of july nothing happens and as part of the agreement we were asked by government to submit names of our technical team as senior staff and government will do same the business was for the two technical teams to uh, sit and decide the modalities on how the tier two uh, interest is going to be paid. Because we had indicated that that amount that government owed from 2010 to 2016, it was for government to transfer the fund to the fund managers under the law, the Pension Act 2008, Act 766. That the business of government is to deduct 5% of our hard earned basic salary, Akoto, and transfer to the fund manager. To trade with, invest, so that when I am going on retirement, the farm manager will not give me the capital plus all other returns on it. Then government kept this money from 2010 to 2016. When we made noise, we went and paid only 41, exactly the principal without. Meanwhile, our colleagues who are going on retirement are languishing in poverty. These were the dictates of Ghanaian law that they followed, according to the 2008 seven, uh, uh, the Act 766. They respected that and contributed. Now they are on retirement. They cannot get their end of service benefit. They cannot get what is due them. And then when you said we should uh, give you our side of technicality, we did that on the, on the 30th of June and submitted the list to the Minister of Employment and Labor Relations. I'm saying that it was at the court hearing, in fact, at the National Labor, that they were telling us that they cited the document two weeks ago, which cannot be true. And then once we were at it, we were still on strike. Then uh, Dr. Kwapong managed to get vice chancellors. 
and Director Child Education Commission. You know the Director Child Education Commission, they are the regulators of the public yes. universities and the vice chancellors are custodians. In fact, the, 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 the Director Child Education Commission was represented by Dr. Ahmed Jinapo, who is the Deputy uh, Director General. And, and the Vice Chancellors Ghana were represented by the, the, the Vice Chancellor for the University of Ghana, Professor Odru, and the Rector of Ghana Institute of Journalism. We came together, we said, look, we want you to make, give us something, some commitment that, look, this time around, you are promising you are going to do. Dr. Hamid Jinapo told us there that the minutes of the meeting is enough. And that there is no way government this time around will not respect the, the thing. And, and the agreement was that Dr. Kwapon and us are expected to use the period from 30th of June to the 19th of July to finalize everything. We communicated the same to our members. On the 19th, we did not hear anything. Nothing. Only for a letter inviting us to negotiation came from Dr. Kwapon on the 26th of July which is not the agreement. The agreement was that it lasts on the 19th. So what happens on the 19th? And whilst we were at it, we went on the 19th when he wrote to us and we went. We thought that a new mandate has been secured, only for us to be splashed again with the, um, the, the old mandate. Unfortunately, the vice chancellors and the, and the regulators who came in, on the basis of which the, the, the slide was suspended on the 11th of June, they were missing in action. They did not even come to hear us. They were not there. Vice chancellors were not there. Grant the Education Commission were not also present at the meeting. Yeah. And the meeting ended inconclusively. And we told them they wanted to know whether they were here from us or not. They said, yes, you're here from us. And Dr. Gopo was insisting when, because they need to get back to government. We told them later by 10th. But we have written to them on the 30th of June, uh, uh, of July. July stating that we are unable to do this and that. There are certain figures, like, because of the rules of the you cannot mention the figures. Yes. Which Dr. Kwapon knows that we have submitted our, 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 our letters to them. So what happens to that agreement? Now, Labor Commission directed, he was also there, that we, uh, the Dr. Kwapon and government and ourselves, should use three months. It failed. Nothing happens. Then we went and signed another agreement on the 19th with high-powered government delegation that had been rubbish after the 60 days. Nothing came from it. In between that, we went ahead to bring Vice Chancellors and GTEC to okay. sign another agreement. Nothing happens. And, 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 and I think that is not enough. The senior staff cater. We were also enjoying certain responsibility allowance on the various campuses. Then a letter came from GTEC that, yes, they, we are not qualified. They should drop us. And Akoto, you know what is happening. When you drop somebody's allowance, there were people who were on loans, bank loans. Because if I'm going to take a bank loan, I look at the current strength of my salary yeah, before you. and take the bank loan. Then just as I started paying the loan, uh, maybe within one month that I'm supposed to pay close to uh, five years, then you take off my allowance. And that allowance we had very serious problem with, which we have uh, uh, been talking with Dr. Kwapong, because the, the, his, his act, the act uh, 2007, act 737 that established the Ferries and Salary Commission. Whilst these uh, allowance were being determined by Ghana Teacher Education Commission and Vice Chancellors, were as a result of the fact that the laws, the fair wages and salary commission had not existed. I mean, it did not come to existence. Now they are there. Why will we sit down for people to determine that seniors that for you people, you are not proper Ghanaians, so we are taking off your allowances? And then when Gawa was also taken off and they complained, and they made argument that, look, they were paying the positions and not the individuals. Why are we not individuals? That's what happens to, to, to senior staff. Mm -hmm. That is okay. how bad our case is.
right. I've, I've heard you. Uh, I, I might love to emphasize a little bit regarding this battle. Time is not on your side. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <the> <laughs> thing that, uh, Hold on. Time, time is not <laughs> on your side. So I, I just want to wrap this up quickly. So, uh, Mr. Javi, if you can hear me. Okay. So then I've heard basically a bit. So I'll just give all of you just a minute each. So we can wrap this up so that I can move on. <laughs> so, Dr. Kapo, yeah. let me go. Uh, you have, I, I think your problems are here. Yes. Let's, 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 yes. Yeah. Let me go back to the matter of market premium. Okay. Originally, they were not covered. They were not entitled to. Mm. Their members were not eligible because at the time, their members were not in short supply and yet critical to the needs of this nation. Let us get that one very clear. So they were not included. Now, when we introduced uh, market premium in 2010, it traveled a road up to 2012, 2013, and then government said it's unsustainable, so we froze it. Now, in 2018, those who were eligible and who had been receiving market premium, albeit uh, eroded levels, came to government and said, that, "Look, we are worse off. So what do we do to us?" And we said, "Well, we are waiting." Uh, the outcome of a research we are conducting. In the meantime, let us give you 8% non-basic salary allowance to cushion you against any hardships until the market, uh, the labor market survey is concluded. The moment we introduced that, all other unions came at us asking for sale. And we were compelled to, in one way or the other, extend to them. These were unions whose members were already enjoying labor uh, interim market premium. Now, when you go to the tent of the senior staff association uh, negotiations, they said they also wanted because they were providing direct support to their senior members. We said, well, uh, we'll go and uh, convince our principals, which they bought into. But then, we will not even call it non-basic allowance because from the genesis of the matter, we were not part. But because we made a very cogent argument that some of your members, your members in the hospitals and other places were enjoying some form of market premium. We will extend to your members, but we will call it university's senior staff allowance. So that at least, it's not the name, and he will remember, it's not the name you are interested in, but some money for your members, which we have agreed we will start from 8%. So don't, don't, let it, don't let it look as if from the beginning we were enjoying market premium. And know that the non-basic salary allowance it's a fallout from the payment of uh, uh, interim market premium, all right? So there is a history to it. Okay. So we don't come for it as a matter of right because your counterparts are taking it because we are right. not part of that. Point well made. Dr. Yes. Kubafa, now work for you. Sure, thank you very much. I just wanted to uh, indicate that if it is uh, one party treating the other in bad fit, as, in as far as Utah negotiating with government is concerned, it is the case that government has not treated us fairly. Uh, both from uh, the negotiations with the government side and the surprise that has been sprung on us by the National Labor Commission with the injunction. Um, aside that, we also have got to be mindful of the old saying that you can force a, a horse to the riverside, but you can certainly not force it to drink water. And so it is appropriate that we resolve matters amicably through dialogue, mm -hmm. rather than these uh, attempts at using uh, institutions that ought to know better and ought to be independent to <laughs> gag us into submission of some sort as to what to do 
particularly so when we know very much that uh, the point that is being made by UTAC, for example, or being made by senior associations, for example, are matters of grave concern that need serious attention rather than an attempt to uh, cow us into submission. Mm. And that I don't think our members are going to be happy about. Mm. All right, then. Thank you very much. So we'll wrap up this leg of the conversation. A big thank you to uh, Dr. Samuel Nkumban, UG UTAC President, Dr. Edward Kwapong, uh, Chief Executive for UGIS and Salarius Commission, and Zakaria Mohammed, National Chairman, Senior Staff Association, University of Ghana. We'll keep an eye on this. We'll take another break. Uh, when we return, we'll talk about Fix the Country. Uh, the protest that happened uh, in the course of the week. The big issue, we'll be right back. Delightfully delicious option whenever and wherever the occasion calls for milk. For your quick meals on the go or quality time at the dining table, jazz up your favorite Gary Soakings, Mash Kinky, cereals, and all hot and cold beverages with a creamy, protein rich option of milk. Creamy Plus Evaporated Milk with vegetable fat is all you need to stay on the go. Creamy Plus Evaporated Milk is now available in a shop near you. Creamy Plus Evaporated Milk. This message has been vetted and approved by the FDA. City 97.3. Accra. The Premier League is back. All 380 games live and exclusive on 97.3 City FM. That is a goal worthy of opening the scoring in any Premier League match. Oh, that's a wonderful goal. Crossing 1-0. Well, it came. The race for top four, the relegation battle, and the fight for the Premier League title. Do not miss a kick, flick, or turn off the action on the home of the Premier League. Join us on Saturday, August 7th for the launch of City FM's coverage of the 2021-2022 Premier League season. Come, let's watch the curtain raiser, the community shield action between Manchester City and Leicester City. Time, 3 p.m. sharp. Venue, rooftop of the City FM and City TV building. This event is strictly by invitation and all COVID-19 protocols will be observed. The live coverage of the Premier League on 97.3 City FM is brought to you by Betway, APSA and Good Day Energy Drink. City 97.3 More variety. City 97.3 hey, why don't you get away from here? Are you gonna say goodbye? Hold up for you. When are you gonna say goodbye? Hey, Robert Mugabe, don't you think it's time away from here? Hey, Charlie Taylor, why don't you get away from here? Hold up for you. When are you gonna say goodbye? Hold up for you. When are you gonna say goodbye? Hey, Robert Mugabe, don't you think Welcome back to the big issue, and uh, we continue our conversation. I was going to try and do fix the country, but I want to mix up 
a bit and uh, work with sports. Franklin Kujo has been substituted in since <laughs> we are doing sports. Franklin, did you play football as a young man? I was actually a goalkeeper. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You're a goalkeeper. Yes, I was. You know, normally they say if you don't know how to play, that is when you, they say you're a goalkeeper. Well, but you're a good I, I guess I guess I, I think I was a good one. I mean, I guess the goalkeeper is one of the is part of the team, isn't yeah. it? I yeah. mean, the goalkeeper prevents the goal. <laughs> so I have something. I have something for Klinkujo for the sporting side of the conversation before we talk about uh, fix the country. Now we're talking about sports because it's been a significant week. The Olympics ends this weekend and yep. um, the whole country has been up for the past what, two and a half weeks right. watching various countries compete for glory including our own Ghana we've got a, mod, uh, a medal a bronze medal Samotichi congratulations the first the country has won in boxing uh, since you know 49 years and our last our first medal since uh, 1992 since 1992 that's how far back since Ghana won a medal. We were participating, just participating ever since. But this time around, people are asking questions. Why is it that we're not doing well? And they've also been lauding the athletes who have gone there and performed creditably on the back of their own efforts, mostly, uh, without state support, without corporate support. Most of them have been able to do it themselves. And uh, people are asking, well, if perhaps given the right support, we could be able to generate... Uh, a generation of champions who would win medals for Ghana and project uh, Ghana's reputation as a home of uh, sports champions. So we're going to have a bit of a conversation around that. But like I said, I'll start doing Frank Binkujo. He was what, uh, paying attention to our initial conversation on the yeah. single span. And you have a quick comment on that. Yes, I mean, I remember uh, somewhere in 2010 when this whole principle or system was introduced, we had cause to uh, complain about the fact that um, it was the single biggest, you know, uh, should I call it farce, when it comes to rationalization of wages within the, in fact, within the public sector and indeed within every sector itself. I mean, the thought that you were going to replace the price mechanism of determining labor and its costs with a centrally planned system like the single spine was going to cause the kinds of commotions that have um, attended every wage conversation or if you like the conflict about wage conversations <laughs> in this country. You know, uh, Godfrey, the fact that somebody breaks the back or breaks his, his back by clearing the virgin forest and in the process planting uh, corn and harvesting corn cannot be compared with your job in this very swanky radio station as a presenter, right? Mm -hmm. um, what am I driving at? Uh, essentially to suggest that it is the, your ability to add to the, the bottom line of the business that determines what you receive as a wage. So the profit motive or the profit indicator is probably the best way of leveraging or determining what you should receive as a wage uh, in your enterprise. But the moment that it's replaced within the system that tries to establish equivalences based on educational qualifications, you descend into some real farce and then upstage the whole notion of the price mechanism. But of course, it gets very murkier and even interesting when you're dealing with the public sector. 
because there are certain ministries um, that obviously are not adding the same value to the national kitty as others are. So in that sense, what would you do? Would you be paying the same ministers the same amount of money or paying people who work in the various ministries the same amount of money simply because they work in the ministry or probably have the same degree? Mm -hmm. I think that is the conversation that we should have rather than try to use a centrally planned system to establish equivalences in wages. It doesn't work anywhere. I mean, you recall when Tony Blair was appointed as an advisor to J.P. Morgan. Uh, people were wondering why he was earning multi-million, was, was basically earning millions of dollars, mm -hmm. even though he may be professionally qualified as a lawyer or whatnot. But the reason why he was earning those sums was because it was adding to the profitability of the business per his advice. So at the end of the day, the profit uh, mechanism or the price mechanism cannot be replaced by any centrally planned authority. I mean, when you do that, you descend into this fast where you try to establish equivalences and then you have to now introduce something called market premium. The moment you give market premium to one professional group, the next are waiting in line. And that's where you get to when the finance minister will tell you, why am I supposed to get money? to pay. Mm. But if it was established that the profits, basically the price mechanism, I mean, would have been the best leveler, really. Um, and so maybe we'll get there when we right. fully decentralize our governance system so that municipalities would take control of uh, when it comes to paying professionals for the jobs they do. Mm. All right, then. Thank you very much, uh, Franklin, for that. Uh, former goalkeeper Franklin Kujo sharing his thoughts on <laughs> the single spine. But like I said, uh, I wanted to delve a bit into the Olympics and the future of Ghana sports in that regard. And I've been joined uh, for this segment of the conversation. I'll be joined by uh, Sandiose Ajiman, who is a former president of the Ghana Athletics Association. Uh, Dr. Kofiyama will also join us. Uh, we all know him from the 2008 uh, LOC and also recently as pre president of the Normalization Committee that ran the Ghana Football Association post the Anas expose. And also, Dr. Kwame Banyaku, my old mentor, he's now a GMPC, he's an economist, uh, general manager for sustainability and stakeholder relations at GMPC, but somebody who pays significant attention to what happens in sports, having been a sportsman practically his whole life from primary school. Dr. Banyaku, are you still in sports, participating actively, I mean? Well, uh, uh, good morning uh, to your listeners and viewers. How are you, my brother? I am well. Let me just quickly say that in terms of still being in sports, uh, well, you can see I still have, uh, if you see what I'm wearing, uh, I have my Kotoko jersey there. That's <laughs> the fun, the, being a fanatic. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I also serve as the chairman of the FA's club licensing board, uh, basically the body that... Um, Vest the licenses of clubs to play the Premier in Division One as well as the Women's uh, Premier League, and then also ensures that our uh, venues meet the standards. So I've moved on from the uh, administration part to the regulator uh, part of the, the football uh, game. But what people also know is that you spent a long period of time basically administering sports from the secondary school level through the university level. You were a significant member of the University of Ghana Sports well, fraternity as well. Beyond that, 
Before that, Adokokwa School uh, in Form 3, as far back as 1987, uh, in a six-form school, when I was in Form 3, I was a team manager for every sporting discipline. So whilst, um, <laughs> <laughs> so whether football, athletics, hockey, volleyball, table tennis, cross-country, uh, I was a person in charge of organizing Adokokwa School from, uh, from Form 3 up to Form 5. And then when I went to six-form economy with Marseille, even though I wasn't a sports uh, prefect, I was basically the one leading them to Itako in commerce. So uh, I've been in there and then moved on to be a football journalist, a sports journalist. I moved from the, uh, being the organizer to a journalism and then I went on to become an administrator, uh, especially in commerce. But you know the University of Ghana days. Yes. I remember my dad used to. My dad used to say in, the, in his lecture room when I was a student, he was asking my colleagues, he wasn't sure whether his son was maturing in economics or sports. <laughs> but I hope, <laughs> I'm sure you've been watching the Olympics and following the comments of Ghanaians who are asking, well, we're yeah. seeing other countries do well in sports. Ghana yeah. is supposedly a sports-loving country, yeah. but we've seen our athletes, we've finally got a medal, but... The, the call has been, what really did the state provide for these young men and women to do what they did? How, how do we move from that state to a state where we can start celebrating hordes of medals at games? Okay, let me just probably summarize it. Uh, in whatever venture that you want to engage in, if you're looking for returns, you need to invest. I'm sure Franklin would agree with me uh, from the economics business side. Whatever you, you want to earn returns on anything, you want to ret returns in terms of gold medals, silver, or whatever, uh, or African trophies, you need to invest. And I don't think as a country uh, we've invested enough in sports to be clamoring for the kind of successes that other countries are looking for. That's the simple truth. Uh, I'll just give you an indicator. Uh, when I joined GMPC in 2017, uh, the previous management had uh, gracefully uh, signed up to what we call the GMPC fastest uh, human uh, competition. Basically, uh, a young man who was a former Olympian had decided that for us to be able to win any medals or do well at the Olympic Games in Tokyo, which was scheduled for 2020, we needed, we needed to invest. And he felt that uh, Ghana's real asset, uh, as far as our history in athletics, was the sprints. So he was going to introduce what he called Ghana's fastest human, where every year he goes around the country and get these uh, young men and women to compete, who crown the 100 meters champion, which was the key one. And um, maybe what a lot of people don't know. So GMPC came on board and decided that uh, one of our tagline is empowering dreams. And so we were hoping to make sure that some young men and women could dream of becoming Olympic champions, uh, somebody needed to support them. So GMPC came on board. And between 2014 and 2020, and currently, GMPC has been supporting that. You just saw the four by 100 meters relating getting to the finals of the competition. Uh, out of the five members of that team, four of them came through the GMPC Ghana Fastest Human process. Basically telling you that um, we invested, the only people we invested in, uh, probably like GMPC did, actually went to the finals of their competition. And that probably 
if we had done it for a lot more Ghanaians in other disciplines, we probably would have had more. So basically, investments yield returns, and we have not done enough. But you, you are looking at the investments from, well, a parastatal uh, uh, side of things positively but from a policy side of things what do you think needs to be done is the framework that we currently have good enough how do we improve it well i don't think so i mean, uh, I'll, I'll look at athletics where, where i've been very much you know even though i've not been in the administration part of athletics i've been very much involved in schools and colleges uh we change somewhere along the line we change our educational system and they didn't look at its effect on sports. And I, I think it's time for us to go back and look at what the change from the AO level, A level system did to our athletics, uh, you know, uh, success. Let me explain. Uh, when for the O levels and the A level system, a child will go to secondary school at the age of 12 and 13 years, boarding house. He had a sports master whose main job was to developed talents. And so between the ages of 13 and 18, where you'll be in Form 1 to Form 5, there was consistent training, professional advice, and competition for that person to build himself. So by the time they got to sixth form, some of them had trained consistently for five years to extend that. When they got to sixth form, they were African champions. The Doris Fimari Dues and Akosia. Abrifa and all those guys were still in secondary school when they won African gold medals. It tells you that's the age range within which if training is properly done, you'll get results. What happened when we shifted to the SSS system was that uh, before somebody began to get this professional support in terms of athletics, you will already be 15 years because JHS level is not boarding. Majority of them is not boarding school. And so for three years, there's no, even if he has he ran in primary school, once he gets to GHS, there's not much competition. So between the ages of 12, 15, when he's supposed to be determining which, if, which event he's even good at, he's in JHS and there's not, not much professional touch. He gets to SHS and he's only in boarding house for what, two and a half to three years. And by the third year, he's preparing for WASI and most of these sports people will not concentrate on their athletics. And so then there is a gap. And then in this country, so he, by, between 13, uh, 15 and 18, he's in the senior high school. There's not much development. So he gets to university where the previous group were getting to the top of their game. And university games, nobody is investing in university, investing much in investing games in Ghana. And so we, we changed our educational system. It had implications on sports, and nobody has even thought about whether we need to shift the focus of sponsorship of uh, sports in our educational systems from where to where. Where we, we created a gap. And so even, when, even though previously Ghana was doing well in volleyball, even on the African continent, hockey, we were also competing. We had uh, even uh, clubs in Ghana playing the African hockey championship. And Athletics Ghana was dominating even at the All-African Games. There has, we, we changed our educational system, and trust me, it's affected our fortunes in sports. So we need, from a policy point of view, need to sit down and rethink where the investment needs to go to, the, uh, to support uh, our quest for returns from uh, sporting tournaments.
Are, are you uh, one of those who supports this uh, argument that it is time to stop this wholesale support for all kinds of sports because the NSA licenses some sports that a lot of people con most people consider recreational to an extent and spreads mm -hmm. already scarce resources to reach all of these events, some of whom can even go two, three years without domestic competition. And that is high time we prioritize on boxing, athletics, uh, maybe you mentioned volley, hockey, the ones that historically we have shown that we have capacity to, partic to participate and do well in. Okay, let's, let's look at uh, maybe examples from two countries who are doing well at these uh, Olympic Games. The UK and, uh, and Germany, for instance. Uh, I'll just give you an example. In Germany, what happens? There, there is a group called Friends of German Sports. In German, they call it Deutsche Sportschleifer. These are people who are well-to-do. They've come together and decided that they'll be called Friends of German Sports. They raise a lot of funding. They organize an annual sports uh, event, the awards event, very well attended. Uh, the, the chief executive, they are corporate members of even this body. They raise a lot of money. 90% of all sports men who, are, uh, who have been to these uh, Olympic Games have been uh, supported by this group. And uh, looking at what you just said, your, the amount of resources you get depends on your success in prior events. So, for instance, if somebody won a gold medal at the European Championship, it determines how much money funding they receive in the next budget cycle. If you are a silver medalist at a national championship, it determines how much funding. If you didn't win any uh, award, even at a local championship, a national championship, or a, a regional championship, then you hardly receive any funding. So that people know that if you want funding from this body, you need to uh, you need to focus on achieving excellence. So if it is badminton, which seems to be getting gold medals at the All-African Games, then all of a sudden there's a lot of funding for badminton because they've shown promise. If it is boxing that has won us an Olympic bronze medal, then the Ghana Boxing Authority, whichever body, which is whether a metro boxing, which allowed us to win that medal, in the next budget cycle can ask for a lot more money. So that if swimming really wants to be given funding from this body, then they need to show that they have the potential. Because if you want a, a sub-regional competition, there's some amount of money you can get. If you were able to win a regional, let's say an African title, it increases the amount of funding that is given. And if you win an Olympic medal, that is even more. The UK also does that. To the extent that some of the disciplines that went into the Olympic Games don't even receive funding from uh, UK sports. I'll give you an example. BMX, the, the young lady who won gold medal had to do crowdfunding to be able to get into the Olympic, quali uh, uh, qualify into the Olympic Games. However, because she won an Olympic uh, medal, automatically within the next budget cycle, she receives a lot of funding from UK sports for in preparation to the next Olympics or the European Championship or whatever. So we can look at that. Uh, like you said, our resources are thin, so we might need to prioritize in the first budget cycle. We'll decide that uh, these sports have the potential, so we are going to support. However, if at the 2023 All-African Games, different sports also show us that they have the potential, then the country then needs to look at 
how do we support such other sports? So you need, it has to be quid pro quo. You need to uh, show something to get some support. It, but however, if we are going to use that measure to then, on what basis would we be supporting football? Because you are making example, the last time Ghana won any medal in any uh, real football, of course, we have the under 20s winning Africa and world uh, titles. But the Black Stars, 1982, was the last time the Black Stars uh, won any competition. Uh, the Meteors, the last time they won a major title, bronze in 1992 Olympic Games, 82 for the Black Stars. So can we then justify the amount of money we spend on the Black Stars if there's the formula for uh, government spending? That's the kind of di discussions that we need to have. All right. Uh, hold on for me, Dr. Banyaku. Let me talk to a former Olympian uh, and uh, get what uh, his... Uh, his thoughts are on this matter. Uh, Sandios Ajuman competed for Ghana at the 1972 Olympics, if I'm not mistaken. He was a sprinter. Um, you, know, you know, he's also a He's also a Kukwara guy. Oh, Dr. Banyaku. Dr. Banyaku. Mr. <laughs> 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 Ajuman, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Hey, Dr. How are you? Hello? Yes, I can hear you. Uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Banyaku cannot hear you yet. I am the okay, one who can communicate with you. So I'm having a conversation with three Aketechi. <laughs> this is so unfair. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I've been listening to Dr. Uh, he makes some very good points. But let me start by saying this. I strongly believe in cumulative leadership. I strongly believe in synergistic leadership. What I mean is this. When you come to meet an association, you should always try to embrace the one that you replace because they have some experience that could benefit you. They have some knowledge, the process, and the challenge. They know all of that. But what happens, at least in athletics, is that new guys come in, they think they have all the answers. So to describe what was learned, what was achieved before. So we go keep on going back in circles, going back in circles. So moving forward, it would make sense for previous um, administrators, previous athletes to become the focus of trying to change athletics in Ghana. Uh, it doesn't happen enough. The ministry does not engage, the sports council does not engage. Or even when they engage, they might pick one or two or three people. But they need to, they need to embrace Everybody who has had a chance to run, be part of the athletics, have run before, have been administrators before, so that we can have accumulated leadership experience to move the sport forward. Secondly, I want to congratulate the uh, young guys that were able to make it to the finals. That's a big plus. Um, and to move forward, as a country, we have to decide what it is that we want to do. And I keep going back to look at it. Jamaica, like an example, they made a deliberate effort way back after the Macquarie's time that they knew that they were good sprinters. They had Leonard Miller and all of this, so they were going to focus. So what did they do? They were able to get the IWM to build an excellent center in Jamaica. And they've also been able to keep their intercom equivalent all these years. So what happens is that they have a forum where athletes can try to go and shine and compete, and their schools compete, and it has sustained them. But here in Ghana, the tendency is that you're on your own, okay? And then when you're on your own, there's so much that you can do. If you get lucky to go into the U.S. to, to, to continue your athletic career like we all did, 
at least you have the benefit of competition. You have a chance to compete all year round between the indoor season and the outdoor season. Let's say you're an athlete in Ghana. Who do you compete with? Things that we used to do in my time is that we used to have bilateral competition. Ghana will run against Nigeria. Ghana will run against Ivory Coast. All of these have stopped. And then when you, when you combine that with what happened with the school system, as the doctor said, it doesn't benefit us. So what do we do? Moving forward, what is the strategic plan? Do we really want to make Ghana an athletic focus center? Then let's see what the uh, blueprint is. Let's have an excellent center, a good stadium, a good facility, and let's get a new class athlete to support them. In my time, too, in the summertime, when everybody was going, they used to have camp. We would take all the athletes, you go camp about three, four weeks, you train, you get to meet your uh, teammates, and that's how you build it. We don't build anything, and then we expect to get some results. Additionally, another thing that has missed is that when we talk about medals, nobody seems, everybody seems to have forgotten that in 2005, when I was the chairman, Ghana won two medals at the World Championship in athletics. Geza won the silver in long jump. Margaret Simpson won the bronze in heptathlon. And that ranked Ghana 16th on the world list. These are examples that we can still win. So if we want to make Ghana athletic center, let's put in the investment, let's put in the strategy. Let's have a short-term, medium-term, long-term strategy, and let's be deliberate about it. It goes for boxing, it goes for whatever sport that we take. Otherwise, every four years we sit back here and we'll be expecting something that we haven't invested in. That's all I want to add. Let, let, let me just uh, ask a quick question. The, in the points that you made, you show that transition from the senior high school level. Of course, Intercor, very popular in your day, as well as my, my days quite recently. Uh, but we seem to have struggled to build a bridge between the senior high school talent pool and the university talent pool, as well as the senior high school drop-off or drop-out uh, bridge as well, because we have a significant dropout rate for athletes as well, even at the senior high school level. But there does not seem to be a plan for even that pool as well. How do we figure this out to make this work? Well, well the way you do that, if it's a strategy of the nation or the thing for that, we're going to make athletics uh, a major focus for Ghana sports. Just like Rex Rogan took it upon himself to do the uh, Ghana fastest version, we can identify these young athletes early. But what do we do? Other than Rex giving us some competition, what else do we do to make sure that we harness this athlete? It has to be an academy of some sort. To have these athletes on the when they have time, school break, they can come out there and train and compete and work out. There's nothing like that. Everybody is left on their own. So if there's a gap between the uh, high schools, the talents are there. Let's find them and let's find a way that we can get them together on a regular basis to train them as they grow. That way, you don't lose the talent. If it's a drop and you have talent, they can be part of the campaign that you do on a regular basis. That's the best choice way that you know that. At least you can have an incubator of talent, and within that incubator, you could have a, uh, you could have them all at once. As they grow, the better ones will come out, and then you keep nurturing them to the real state where they can represent the country. These are some of the deliberate decisions that have to be done. If it's not done, we're just going to be just going back and forth, and nothing's going to happen. That's what I experienced. Uh, that's what I know. And by the way, uh, you should remember that. Most people that win the Olympic medals are second time. But if you go the first time, you don't win. It's okay. 
if you, if you committed enough, the second time around, you're more experienced, you're better, you know what you can do right, and then you have a better chance of getting a better. So let's try to see these young guys that run the real They're young. They've proven that they can go to the, uh, the finals without much support. So let's find a way to keep them together for the next four years. And I'm sure that by that time, they'll be mature and still young enough to uh, be better for Ghana. There's also concern about, yes, we need to raise the money for the infrastructure, like you said. The matter of the people who train the champions and the lack of, a, uh, one would say, a good pool of instructors in the various sports and disciplines. So uh, we still leave it to persons to coach at an amateur level. But once talent gets to a certain level, it requires also a certain but, level but of let me, let me, instruction. You're making a good point. You know what athletes like Vida and him and uh, all those people used to We used to have to point coaches that were here in Ghana training them. We used to have these experience before that were with the right talent, we can engage some of them. They will come and they will train, and they will train some of the local coaches. In our time, we never, we never was put some of the best sports masters. That's how all our talent came from. It wasn't anybody else. We the same people. So what happened to all these physical education teachers that were trained uh, uh, to become our mentors to help us to develop and become better sprinters? We don't have them anymore. Ohini Kakei became a, a started as a headler. And he became a headline because our sportsmaster then was Mr. Finn. And he showed us in the career, even at that year, the year way back in the 70s, how to jump the hurdle. Oh, he was a short man, but he was able to become a headline and become a very good headline. And from that, he transitioned to Spain. So it goes, it goes to the whole strategy. You know, everything starts from the strategy, from the coaching, from the talent pool, from the infrastructure, from the taking care of the athletes. And if it's not a policy, committed policy, please let's not waste our time talking about what we need to be done. Because we will, we ask, you know what we do in Ghana. We will talk and talk and talk. It sounds good when we talk, but we don't put any action behind it. So Ghana has to decide, do we want to make boxing or athletics the best thing for Ghana? Well, let's have a sports council. Let's have the National Sports Authority, whatever, get to work and be serious about it. Oh. Okay, now we, 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 we have the All-Africa Games ahead of us. And again, you, you raised the point of we like, the, we like doing the talking. Earlier in the week, we spoke to the sports minister, for instance, who says, look, I've spoken to a couple of people. We are coming back to get things done. And what even emerged from the conversation that surprised me a bit was we do not even have an IAAF certified track in Ghana yeah. as we speak today, yeah. which was a bit of a shocker. It should be because I know that during my time, uh, IOC and IWF had agreed to build a stadium, uh, a stadium for athletics at Amasaman. I believe that time BT Babam was there, uh, the, whatever it is at IOC, at GOC. What happened to that idea? They were going to put a Titan track and certify it. So what happened to all those ideas? Again, we saw something and then somewhere along the line, the cracks come in. Nobody take out the money so, and get it done. So all these things are there. How can the guy was able to get a track of excellence where people can go and train? How can Jamaica have one? How come Ghana can have one? I mean, these are some of the questions that we need to ask ourselves. And also, we just have to start bringing some business ideas into some of these things. 
Raising money is a business idea. If you package yourself well and you talk to enough people, if I talk to 20 people, you're very right that two will say yes. So you can have the resources you need if you bring the business approach to running the sport. So if you don't have a certified track, how are we going to have the 2023 uh, All-Up game? I mean, are we going to wait to the last minute? I mean, we said that we're going to fix the Lagos Stadium. What are we waiting for? Why can't we just do it now and do a simulation now and do whatever we need to do, knowing that this is ready? So these are some of my concerns. Uh, unless we tackle some of these issues seriously, please. <laughs> We're not going anywhere. That's all I can say. Mm, okay, let me let me come back to uh, Dr. Baniaku. Dr. Baniaku. I'm here. Yes, so I'm sure you have heard uh, from uh, Dr. Osea, uh, Mr. Osejiman. Yes, yes. He, he, he has made quite a few of the points that you have also made. But again, my concern is with where the talent pool is and also the level of instruction. So we're looking at the potential athletes, for instance, looking ahead to 2023 and the people who train the athletes plus okay. the infrastructure. These are the three things okay. we need to put in place. So we need... The athletes. You need in, talent. We need the talent. You need talent. You need infrastructure. We need infrastructure. And we need instruction. Need and then you need technique. Yes. Where the instructors come in. Yes. We have the All Africa Games ahead of us in two years. I, I think. I think Mr. Osajima uh, made a particular point that we need. To, he says we need to be. We need to be uh, particular about. We, we, there has to be a plan. Identification of where the pool, the talent pool is, is based on plan. This is what I want to do. What are the resources required, and where are, where is the resource? The resources, financial infrastructure, as well as the talent. You you need to determine where they are. So for me, we know we know that the earlier you start, the better. So for instance, I'm thinking that for athletics, um, what these young men have shown is that, for instance, GMPC's investment was good. He talked about even academics. In actual fact, the GMPC Fastest Human actually culminated into a one-year camping program, which we call the GMPC Speed Test Club. So these guys get just one year. But imagine what we could have achieved if we had put a lot more resources in. So the talent pool starts from our JHS, and then SHS, and then you come to our universities. If you are waiting for somebody to get to the university before you start putting them together, they are probably, by current Olympic standards, they are too old. So for me, we need to be deliberate about how we target uh, primary school kids, GHS. There has to be planned. Now, even the national sports festivals are hardly held. And this is one of the key challenges we have. for that input. Franklin, you've also been watching the Olympics. What have you made of uh, Ghana's performances? Well, I guess the ones that we invested in has clearly demonstrated, uh, I mean, that the conversations well, that you've had. We well, um, I, yeah, I listened to your show, The Breakfast Show, and I think you went on lamenting that those who had invested in themselves somehow managed to uh, uh, do a little bit better. Uh, if I understood what the Dr. Banyakon uh, is saying, uh, GMPC somehow uh, invested in 
Yes, for the, the fastest human event. Exactly, and at least it got us into the finals. So the theory works. I mean, you you can definitely if you invest in something, you tend to reap the resource really. And uh, I don't think we we've seen the last of the lamentations. We heard the last of the lamentations about the nature of our sports. I guess the real issue has to do with the policy alignment, mm -hmm. the design, and the thinking processes that go into the, I mean, what objectives we, uh, we have put for ourselves or we want to achieve. So just as with any, uh, of, just as it is with most of our policies in this country, um, usually we do not think through them before we implement them. And unfortunately, we would not get the honest unless we do what is needful. I guess that's the bottom line in all the conversations mm -hmm. we've had. And so I'm not surprised that um, the results we, we managed to get clearly show. I mean, I think for, it's only boxing that we won bronze. Yes. Of, we've won five Olympic medals. Of the five, four have come from boxing. Well, exactly. And uh, it's sad that football has also not been represented this time around, mm -hmm. when indeed we used to be the beacon on the continent or somehow around the world when we, at least we invested in the, in the football. So th things are going south and I think it is important. Look, the, the level of expertise you've heard from Mr. Sandio Sajima and Dr. Uh, Banyaku tells you that the talent is there in terms of advice. There's, there's, there are tomes of uh, advice that have been given and you yourself have been as you are a sports invest, investor mm -hmm. and you've given all sort of advice and i don't know whether the it's it's, it's actually getting to the right corner <laughs> and also so we've only just as you said on the show this week we only get serious when it's just about a month or two to the to, to some uh, tournaments or to some competition and that's not the way to prepare really there's no way you're going to benefits or reap the benefits if you haven't invested enough in it. There are all manner of sports disciplines that I think we can do a whole lot. But you said something during the week as well, that we should focus on where we think we can reap the medals, yeah. right? I mean, you were going on and on about weightlifting, and I watched the weightlifting. I saw our countries within the uh, somehow the Eastern Bloc, some yeah, countries the former that are, USSR side. Exactly. We're doing well. It's because they they created they intensely mm. or intentionally invested in those sports. And so we can choose what we want to do. If it is boxing, yes, if it is mm. if swimming, why not? If it is uh, 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 athletics, if it is um, athletics, we should try and Focus exactly where our energies would bring us results, and and let's let's focus, let's invest in that. Thank you. Points well made. So that's how I will wrap up our conversation on the Olympic cycle of things, and we can focus on fix the country demo. But just before we get there, uh, we can take a couple of messages that have come through uh, in the course of the program, and then you can also uh, send your messages zero five four nine nine eight six nine nine six. That's a WhatsApp line. Uh, 0549986996 and 0550 So a couple of messages that have come in so far on the conversations we have held. Uh, good morning, Godfred Ainz, the leadership of the NLC appointed by government. If so, how can they be neutral in 
with our, with our current style of politics. This and many other problems are the need for a complete uh, overhaul of the Constitution. Paul from Adenta is saying, it says there's no justice in the system in terms of salaries, remunerations, and conditions of service in this country. If a whole president can tell teachers that if they want to be learners, they should do side jobs in addition to, the te to teaching, what's he telling us? Why should you wait for workers to strike before giving them what's due? But when it comes to yourselves, salaries, remuneration, and the likes, you have no problems. And that's with reference to the government. Of course, he says, are we not all working for Ghana? They are only there for themselves and their families. Iman of Makati also says, so certain things have changed in this country. We do not have a future. Uh, Babamu from Tamale Central says, Godfrey, good day. I think both parties need to negotiate. You tag should exercise restraint and please go back to the lecture theatres because I know their concerns will be addressed. Um, this one from Kwekwila Pass says, Godfrey, money makes the world go round. The Ghana Sports Authority, uh, what do you mean by, so you mean the National Sports Authority should think outside the box to fund their sporting activities. I am ready to contribute. Okay, Kwekwila La Paz, I'm sure they are listening. UTAG must demand and get whatever they want before going back to the classroom. This is Xilix Duane in London. The sports minister and uh, his officials were more than the athletes we took to Tokyo. They were in Tokyo because of per diem. That money could have helped with building structures here. This is a very upset uh, listener of the show. Uh, Walanyo Nakwetia is already teaching about our upcoming topic. He says, what was the essence of uh, the fix the country demo. What does it take to fix the country? If the status quo is to be uh, taken care of, where were we as a nation? Where are we as a nation? Uh, selfless leaders are on course fixing the mess created. Okay, that's where Walanya is coming from. AU uh, Farouk Tamale North says, Good morning. Why is the government finding it difficult to negotiate with workers when it comes to salary issues? How can strikes be the MOU to government? If not incompetence and cluelessness, how else would this be the status quo? So that is a message that has come in. So you can also be heard. Keep sending uh, the messages in. Uh, I will go to those on Twitter before we wrap up. But on Wednesday, August 4, thousands of Ghanaians uh, participated in the Fix the Country protest. Now, they demanded, among other things, uh, uh, return to the uh, recommendations of the Constitutional Review uh, Commission and also uh, suggested steps to address the many challenges facing ordinary Ghanaians. So uh, we will just listen to some of the voices that were on the street. And when we come back, uh, Franklin Kujo is still with us. We'll be joined by the Deputy Finance Minister John Kuma as well as an a convener, uh, one of the conveners uh, of the protest, Brownson Adachi. Very, very much for all the sacrifices that over the years you have exhibited, which has led to the peace and security that we enjoy as a country. Thank you very much. Second, to come and tell you to send a message of appreciation from us at the leadership of the police to your wives and children and your extended family for giving you to the police service for you to do the work that you are doing. We want you to send that message. And tell them, the leadership will have your back 
and we have their back also by extension. Whatever happened to you, whatever happened to them, have happened to us. So we'll see to it that your happiness is our happiness. We will see to it that your pain is our pain. When you came to urge you that you have this on your mind as you go out there to do this job. And when you are guided by this, you will be very careful, you will be very focused, you will be very professional and get a job done with excellence. We are with you on the field, and we will be with you on the field at all times. I thank you very much. As you can see, the demonstrators are here in their numbers, charged, agitating, expressing uh, their concerns with regards to the issues they want addressed in the country. Their placard says it all. The demographics also are quite interesting. The young, the old, men, women are all represented here. And the demonstration which began from the Brasport is hope. Its final destination is the Independence Square. And as you can see, it's all charged up here, fired up. There are demonstrators on the floor wielding placards. There are motorbikes. There are people from various fraternities represented here. As you can see, the, uh, the crowd is so large, and uh, even the police is finding it very difficult to control them. And as you can see, as we the marchers also find it very difficult to control them. People are in march today not because they are afraid of coronavirus, but because they are afraid of the presidency. Yes. Now, if you talk against the president, either they close your radio station down, mm -hmm. they destroy your business, they bring down your church, they bring down everything your business and other investments. You. you can see the old people, the 60 years and plus. They are always fighting for government appointments, CEOs and board chairmen. And they will come and tell the youth that they used to be entrepreneurs. That's the bad thing we are demonstrating against today. Where did you come from again? Kumasi. I see. What I time did you set off and when did you get to Accra? Okay, I came three days ago and I lost that castle, but I was here at 2, 2 a.m. this morning. Because I'm tired of certain things. If you go to hospitals, there's no bed. My wife delivered at Ridge Hospital. She delivered on the floor, no bed. And I'm telling you, in this country, 2012, my wife delivered in Great Hospital, no bed. Across the nation, there are so many hospitals, but no bed. No nurses. Nurses are there, no equipment. So we are tired of it. They should stop by the VH and do what is right. So you mean to tell me you came all the way from Kumasi just for this demonstration? Yes, I came all the way from Kumasi to do this. What do you hope this demonstration will achieve? I'm praying that this government will listen to us and certain things will change. 
That's what we are waiting, hoping for. This is the land our fathers died for. And growing up, this wasn't the country that I saw. So if the economy has gone and I saw Charlie, this is the reason why I bore. Yeah, one, nothing. She won't go, Charlie won't go, won't go. Can't you? I can't understand them. Whoa, whoa. I can't understand them. Whoa, whoa. I can't understand them. Whoa, whoa. So these were some voices from the protest. And as soon as we're done with this, I will try and squeeze in uh, a matter that emerged yesterday. That was the report that has finally been made public of the ad hoc committee that looked into the handling of the Sputnik V procurement process by the health minister. Remember, there was a bipartisan uh, committee in parliament that looked into it. Uh, there's a report out. I will try and add it to this conversation. Um, as well. But let me just speak quickly to uh, an organizer or a convener, they prefer to be called conveners, uh, of the protest, uh, Brownson Adachi. Uh, Brownson. Hello, Brownson. If you can unmute your microphone. Hello, good morning. Yes, good morning and thank you for joining us. So, the protest finally happened on Wednesday and for most people, the question is, what next? Okay, so I want to use this opportunity to say good morning to your viewers and then the people of Ghana and people who are campaigning for change. Now, uh, we've, we've said severally that Fix the Country is a platform that tends to leverage on the voice of uh, the, the people who has been historically excluded from democratic processes so as to create some sense of urgency around the need for a substantive democratic reforms. Now, demonst uh, the, the, to demonstrate or to protest is not the main aim of the campaign, okay? The main aim of the campaign is for us to have a fixed system or to, to have democratic reforms. Now, so uh, demonstration is only the platform people use to uh, 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 vent their spleen or register their displeasure. And then we are doing this because we wanted the people to democratically come out with some of their concerns so we can harmonize these concerns into uh, one thing or come into consensus that, okay, this is what the people are talking about and this is uh, the way forward. Now, we are not done harmonizing these concerns. Uh, this is just one of a series of demonstrations we intend to embark on. But I think when people are asking what's the way forward, I think uh, the media and then uh, other bodies or other stakeholders involved should open up high-level conversations on some of the issues the people have raised, as we are also uh, uh, giving people the platform to come out with their concerns for now. After that, we will come out with processes to make sure that we have a fixed country. Mm. Now, a large part of the uh, concerns that have been raised are associated with the 1992 Constitution and a return to perhaps the work that was done by the Constitutional Review Commission uh, a few years back and the concerns about why it has been held up or it has been discarded. 
how are we how are you pushing that particular message forward okay so we we are saying that most of the problems that uh, people are raising uh, has its source in the constitution okay uh, so we are asking for a new constitution and over the years we learned that there is a, a, a 984 page report that is lying down there unattended to and uh, it is just because it, it tends to be a review process that is why any organization can either choose to uh, uh, whether that is why the parliament or this thing can choose to either go for it or not but we are asking for a process that will give us a new constitution that is they are going to either consider the report there and some other reports or things that people have raised over the years now we are saying we are raising uh, uh, a one million vote or uh, yes one million signatures to ask for a change in constitution to to tell leadership that this is what people are asking for that is the process we are embarking on now asking for signatures to to uh, uh uh, that founds on the constitution so they know how serious or the severity of the issues on the ground so as to open up conversations on that i think that's what we're doing now and the sustainability of this this has come to stay my brother uh, this is a movement more of a movement than just a campaign you're saying uh, we we are decentralizing this movement to every part of the region and uh, yes of the country and every region and uh, we that is why i said earlier on this is not just to demonstrate it is a whole institution or a movement that is going to make sure that we have some sort of uh, democratic reforms uh, uh, for sustainable development mm. all right just uh, hold on a bit for me brownson so uh, franklin you are an old hand yeah. at these uh, protests uh, this particular one a lot of people say it was important in the sense that it was organic mm. and it's not something that one of those protests where you would find uh, political parties heavily involved and it was kind of a throwback to uh, what we had five years ago mm. your thoughts on this well being organic it's a it's a characterization that i think we can largely agree with in this instance Let's also not forget that the previous one, the Occupy uh, GH1, mm -hmm. was also spontaneous, even though there were a number of political actors who joined at some point. In fact, I recall that the political actors were dissuaded from joining, but I guess it became quite uncontrollable. And so some activists, some political actors we see today uh, were part of the process. Let me just say that there's nothing wrong with having organic movements, especially if they, uh, just as they spontaneously rise to the occasion and try to respond to the challenges of the time. I guess the challenge is in going forward with uh, or the su sustaining the momentum that has been generated. Uh, I don't want to say that I've seen it before, and then so I'm wary of colors red. <laughs> um, I, I, while I doff off my hat to the organizers for doing this quite well, some of us were silently supporting them because clearly we are also getting fed up with policy recommendations that do not see the light of day because we become paper tigers 
it looks as if you need some sort of action or street uh, foot foot on the street or feet on the street in order to galvanize your demands but look at the end of the day i've i had the gentleman quite well and if i had most of the um, sympathizers of the fix the country movement what i hear largely is that they want development it may not necessarily even be democracy or democratic reforms and that development is what they want there was a time when the africa report um, did a survey across the continent and asked questions as to whether people prefer democracy over development sorry development over democracy or vice versa uh, about two-thirds, more than 60% of Africans that were polled said they wanted development, which meant that irrespective of the constitutional strictures in your country, irrespective of the way democracy has been organized in your country, the results of it, in fact, the, the, the beneficial, sorry, the, 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 the end result must inure to the benefit of the citizenry. So a part of me feels ambivalent about this ask about democratic reforms to the extent that if you feel that you are a president and you have been given enormous powers, as it were, to change the lives of people, well, it behoves on you to use it prudently and use it right. If all you do is to appoint your henchmen into office and as it were, um, throw all caution to the wind, when it comes to procurement, when it comes to certain actions that obviously uh, would not inure to the benefit of the citizenry, then clearly you have yourself to blame. I would also think that one of the challenges of our democratic uh, dispensation, as we have it now, in spite of what the Constitution says, is the fact that political entrepreneurs, however educated they are, do not take into cognizance the potential of the country before they make promises. And it's been seen across. Don't forget, we've been doing the asking questions about the business plans of governments or political parties since 2008. And almost every time we see, we see uh, some sort of a downward trend in terms of the, the, the way the, these policies and the processes that go into them uh, have been organized. So maybe one of the things we should start asking our politicians to stop doing is to sloganeer the whole concept of development. One district this, one village here, one this, one that. Those are symptoms of a disorganized, if you like, political system that does not take into cognizance or take into consideration the potentials of the country. And the potentials of the country here are the human beings that we see. The mass unemployment we see can be fixed not through short programs, short-lived programs like the GDES and the and its uh, cousins that we have currently. That can only fix a tiny bit of the situation, really. Mm. You need to start reforming the process of basically building a productive economy. And if you are spending so much on free SHS, which is a useful tool, by the way, you may start asking yourself, what is the end goal? Is it to build a, a, a critical core skill set of people who are able to do things for themselves. So if you are spending just about 16% or so in technical vocational education, there's no way you're going to build a middle level manpower base that you need for a country like this, uh, a, country, a country like Ghana to be able to reach 
if you like, to leap in bounds, uh, uh, I mean, to leap forward in such a way that we'll be able to maximize our potential. Yeah. So that that marries itself to the whole idea of building a country away from taxation to production. There's no way you're going to achieve that if the MPP promised that. There's no way it's going to happen if we haven't intently invested in the productive elements of the economy. So why are taxes back up again? Because the same engine we've been using to run the economy is a centrally procured one, which is all for the show. So one this, one that, one this. But how well they are linked to the growth of the economy to ensure that the productive cycle continues. We can see that. So education is good. You're spending so much on education right now. But to what end? Is it in 10 years we are going to build that critical core that we need in order to build the product? This, I'm, I'm mentioning just a few of these symptoms that have dogged our democracy. That can never lift us off. And we are going to see this cyclical wave of protest until we fix the whole idea of sitting down and doing the hard work. If your manifesto is not necessarily, is, 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 is essentially a collection of, it's just a wish list, which is not rooted in the productive development of the economy, then you are going to see these challenges. I seriously think that these protests um, are good. But fundamentally, if we are going to fix the economy or fix the country, it has to do with a proper sense of, you know, understanding what exactly plagues the economy. Unfortunately, uh, maybe someone can also say that, well, then maybe the four-year cycle is not enough if you want to fix democratic reforms. Because the first year is virtually used in sorting out uh, how a government tries to establish itself, tries to settle in. By the time it finishes the settling, elections are almost up. So maybe we should start asking hard questions as to what exactly we want to see in an economy such as ours, okay. so that we can begin to have a conversation as to what are the main things that ought to be fixed. We don't want 250, 350 promises. We probably need five. Fix the roads, fix education properly, by the way, fix water, fix healthcare. And the way to go about it is to have a decentralized system of administration. But where you pack a lot of things into these rather modest five top line, uh, should I call them uh, enablers, then you see the unraveling of our, of our democracy. Mm -hmm. What do I mean? If we can achieve Agenda 111 by not having the government at the behest, at the commanding height of the health interventions, such that even procuring vaccines alone can make us lose close to $16 million by one bad decision, that money could have started fixing some other you know, uh, issues within the healthcare. But I'm not even suggesting the government should do that. If the government were a productive enterprise, the private sector would be the ones actually engineering and directing affairs in every, every country. That's the way it's organized in any, every highly efficient country. Okay. We don't want to see, we understand government is the biggest spender, but so far, successful governments in this fourth republic 
if sin, if we do it, if we, if you are given a, a trouble, if you are given a what's it called, a report card, you'd seen that we spend so much pampering governments, in fact feeding governments, but we've gotten nothing out of it. You know how much between 2006 and 2014 was invested in the sports sector you've been complaining about? Almost 200 million dollars. If you add 10 years from then, or probably 9 years from then, you are getting almost to 500 million dollars. What have we achieved? Five medals at the Olympics. Thank you very much, Franklin Kujo. We'll take a quick break. When we return, we'll look quickly at the Sputnik report. The Premier League is back. All 380 games live and exclusive on 97.3 City FM. That is a goal worthy of opening the scoring in any Premier League match. Oh, that's a wonderful goal. The race for top four, the relegation battle, and the fight for the Premier League title. Do not miss a kick, flick, or turn up the action on the home of the Premier League. Join us on Saturday, August 7th for the launch of City FM's coverage of the 2021-2022 Premier League season. Come, let's watch the curtain raiser, the community shield action between Manchester City and Leicester City. Time, 3 p.m. sharp. Venue, rooftop of the City FM and City TV building. This event is strictly by invitation and all COVID-19 protocols will be observed. The live coverage of the Premier League on 97.3 City FM is brought to you by Betway, APSA and Good Day Energy Drink. Delightfully delicious option whenever and wherever the occasion calls for milk. For your quick meals on the go or quality time at the dining table, jazz up your favorite Gary Soakings, Mash Kinky, cereals, and all hot and cold beverages with a creamy, protein rich option of milk. Creamy Plus Evaporated Milk with Vegetable Fat is all you need to stay on the go. Creamy Plus Evaporated Milk is now available in a shop near you. Creamy Plus Evaporated Milk. This message has been vetted and approved by the FDA. City 97.3. Welcome back to the big issue. And let's just wrap up the show today with the report of the nine-member uh, ad hoc parliamentary committee that was set up to prove the controversial Sputnik V vaccine procurement. Now, in their report, they have tasked the finance minister, Ken Ferrata, to take steps to recover well, almost $3 million expended to us uh, the botched procurement of several doses of the Sputnik V vaccine. Now, although the health minister, Kukwaja Amin, indicated that no money was paid to the company, despite 
the initial 2,000 doses of the vaccine that was applied, the report of the committee found that 50% of the total contract sum was actually paid, which is something Franklin was uh, had suspected yeah, two weeks ago. That there was no way this deal had gone through without money being paid, contrary to what the minister said. So, Franklin, uh, as they say, take your stone. The committee also determined that agreements were entered into without prior approval by the Public Procurement Authority under sections 40 and 41 of Act 663. Uh, the minority in parliament were represented in parliament by the chief whip, uh, Mohammed Muntakabu Barak, who has called for the dismissal of the health minister. So, we'll take a quick listen to that call and then I'll read you portions of the committee's report, then we'll wrap it up. To uphold the constitution and the laws of our country. Mr. Speaker, for me, I must say, the minister must be sanctioned. The minister must be removed by the president. He does not fit to occupy this office anymore. The Speaker, in, in affirming this, in order with Order 78, 78D and Order 83, I want to beg and move an amendment to this motion, the report of the committee, to include on paragraph 12.4, now have paragraph 12.5, to include that the minister, and I ask, Mr. Speaker, adding this paragraph, that the minister not having lived up to his oath of office. He is not fit to occupy the office of the Minister of State and must therefore be removed from office henceforth, failing which this House must pass a vote of censure on, on the Minister. Mr. Speaker, I so move, and we on this side of this House are voting. We are calling for vote of no confidence on this Minister. He does not fit to occupy this office. Having betrayed the trust that this, the people of this country has mandated him with, having broken the constitution of our country, having broken the laws of our country, the Minister of Health does not fit to occupy this office. I therefore move for this amendment, and Mr. Speaker, in line with our Order 78D and 83, I beg that you put the question on this for it to be part of the report of this committee. And so move. We are told that the minister made a categorical statement that no payments had been made to the suppliers. When, in fact, upon further probing, they established that some payments had been made through the Minister of Finance, uh, acting through the Controller and Accountant General. Some payments had been made to the suppliers. In fact, 50% of the costs had already been made. Now, is it the case that the minister made an emphatic statement? So I called the chairman and the vice chairman. They disagreed with what really happened at the committee level. So the committee clerk is then the person to call to authenticate the claim that the minister made um, an unambiguous statement that no payment had been made. When I called the secretary, the clerk to the committee, and she came, she said she doesn't really remember what exactly happened, but she will call for the recording. She did, 
and came to inform me in the presence of the chairman, Yanabo Afenyo, and the vice chairman, Yanabo Akando, that indeed the minister did not make a categorical statement. And that the minister said, to the best of his knowledge, no payment had been made. Indeed, before then, I had told the secretary that if indeed the minister made such a categorical statement that no payment had been made, and they discovered that indeed payment had been made, then they should put that in the report, that what the minister had said was inconsistent with their own finding. So accordingly, they put that in the, in the report. But when the, the clerk came out with the, with the admission that indeed the minister did not make any such categorical statement, the statement was qualified that to the best of his knowledge, no monies have been paid. In that case, would you say that the minister lied? Clearly no. So they then had, in the presence of the chairman and the vice chairman, the secretary then took out that portion from the report. So you look at the entirety of the report. The report is to make recommendations to parliament as to what their findings are and what parliament must do. If you look at the recommendations of the committee. So uh, that was the majority leader, Sir Chairman Sabunsu, and the minority whip, uh, Muntaka. Muntaka is asking for a vote of no confidence in the health minister. The majority leader seems to be going through a matter of semantics, what the minister said and what it means exactly, with reference to whether a categorical statement was made on amount of money paid. I think when he spoke, the whole country heard him. So, you know, but <laughs> let me just read portions of the findings of the committee, uh, and then, frankly, you can have a bit of comment, and then we'll wrap this up. So, if you go to this, it says, that's on point 10, uh, findings of the committee on non-compliance of Article 18.5 of the 1992 Constitution, the committee found that the procurement and supply of the Sputnik V COVID-19 vaccines between the government of the Republic of Ghana, represented by the Ministry of Health and the private office of His Highness Sheikh Ahmed Daumuk Al Maktoum, is an international agreement. The committee therefore took the considered view that the agreement qualifies as an international business or economic transaction. And the legal implication is that the agreement required a prior parliamentary approval to come into operation in accordance with Article 18.5 of the 1992 Constitution. The view of the committee aligns with the advice of the Honorable Minister for Justice and Attorney General in the ratio in the case of the Attorney General versus Balkan Energy Ghana Limited and others 2012. That case is quite popular. The on ten one, the committee found that SL Global was a Ghanaian incorporated company, hence the ministry's agreement with the firm did not qualify as an international business or economic transaction where parliamentary approval would be required. On procurement processes, the committee found that the Ministry of Health did not seek approval from the Board of PPA under Sections 40 and 41 of Act 663 before signing the agreement. The Ministry, however, applied for ratification under Section 93 of the Act, which has still not been granted. On 10.2, the committee also found that PPA has not concluded its investigations into the matter. On dealing with distributors, which is point 10.3, the committee found that the Ministry dealt with the private office of His Highness Al Maktoum and SL Global. The two entities were appointed by the Oregon Health Investment 
to be both agents and distributors of the Sputnik V COVID-19 vaccines in Ghana, clearly using middlemen for the purchase and distribution of the vaccine. Now, on the cost of the vaccine, the committee found that the amount of $19 was the agreed price of the vaccine under the ministry's agreement with Armak Tun and $18.50 under the agreement with SL Global, which was originally $26 per dose. The committee found that the S factory price of the Sputnik V vaccine was $10. The minister explained that the prices achieved under the two agreements included the cost of documentation, shipping, packaging, logistics, and expenses in relation to transportation of the vaccine from its place of origin to Ghana. Decision to procure vaccines. The committee found that the ministry entered into the two agreements without cabinet approval, but only based on a ministerial decision, having regard to the advice of the COVID-19 Emergency Operating Committee. Now, on payments to Mrs. Al Maktoum, the committee found that the amount of $2.8 million, representing 50% of the contract sum of $5.7 million, has been paid to Mrs. Al Maktoum, and this translates into the city equivalent of 16.3 million Ghana cities, converted at the then prevailing exchange rate of $1 to 5.73 cities. Whereas the minister said he had no knowledge of payment under oath. Recommendations. Based on the aforementioned findings, the committee recommends as follows. 11.1. The committee is of the opinion that even if the situation in the country at the time the agreement was signed was that of an emergency, due process of law should have been followed because parliament would have treated the issue with the urgency it deserved and the appropriate action would have been taken accordingly. The agreement would have been taken under certificate of urgency in accordance with the standing orders and the practices of the House. Two, the points must also be made that even if it was an emergency, the minister should have found time to communicate effectively and engage with the Committee on Health. The extensive engagement would have saved the ministry from the negative reactions from the citizenry and some members of Parliament. Three, the Committee therefore recommends that in future, any such transactions, whether local or international, be subjected to broader stakeholder consultations and should be taken through due process of law, including parliamentary approval. Other ministries, departments and agencies should also take a cue from the recommendation, not only in the case of agreements, but also on issues relating to policies and programs to be implemented. Then, I'll just go quickly to the conclusion so that Franklin can wrap up. The committee has discharged this mandate by diligently examining the two agreements. Um, then, basically says that, as already stated, the committee found that the Ministry of Health did not comply with the requirements of Article 18.5 of the Constitution in respect of his agreement with Mrs. Almaktoum. The minister said he did, he did that because of the exigencies of the time when COVID-19 posed public health crisis with highest fatalities and there was urgent global search for vaccines. At that material time, the agreements were signed. All governments to government sources had failed as the bilateral sources had communicated to the ministry that they would only be able to deliver in August 2021. Suffice to say that the bilateral sources did not include Russia since Ghana had no such arrangements with Russia. So basically that is part uh, the conclusion part of it. But Franklin, overall, what do you make of this? Politics. Politics? Um, how, well, how is it that the some members of the minority are calling for the head and, and in no uh, mean position as that of the minority chief whip, right? Uh, is calling for the head of the minister when the overall committee's report actually suggests that, well, certain things were made in error and should, should, be, um, should not be repeated again. And I say it's politics because um, if you understood, I think the whole the whole committee's work 
centers around the issues around procurement, mm. which has been the bane in this society, right? So the minister initially said, well, he hasn't paid any money. Well, it's not Mr. Bons who says we have to figure out whether that was what exactly he said. Oh, but his assigns were all over the place, you recall? Mm. And uh, I don't know whether that was also part of the not thinking properly process. Um, but I think his assigns were all over the place saying the, there's no money paid. Mm. Um, but we knew from from other contract arrangements of the Russians, I mean the middlemen who were trying to procure the Russian vaccine, that you have to pay something ahead. In this case, it was 50%. So is the minister the one saying that he's sorry, or is the committee saying that on his behalf? Interesting question. Which is why I say the whole conversation now centers around politics. The politics of either removing a, a minister of state. But again, this goes back but to... But you get a sense of wrongdoing from what I've just read. You know, it's, it's a pretty difficult question to answer. Because you see, then again, go back to the fix the country demonstrators plea that the constitution should be fixed. If the president under the executive instrument, under the certificate of emergency, could issue some of these directives under which the minister clearly has taken refuge or in which the minister has taken refuge, then somehow you cannot necessarily fault the minister because he's saying that the constitutional mandate of the president gave me that authority. And in a pandemic situation, under the certificate of emergency, I did this. Whether he comes to say he wasn't thinking properly or not, probably does not, the matter does not, um, that does not really arise. So, that's why I said there's a whole, it's, it's politics, it's plain. People who are vested in the issues around property accountability and the fact that the procurement shenanigans that we know in this country will say, well, there's been one too many of these procurement infractions by the ministry. So how does this report and its conclusions and its recommendations actually absolves us from future infractions against the procurement system that we have? That's the challenge I have. And this I would throw back to the president. Is this satisfied with the work of the minister? Does he want to see further infractions of procurement? If he's happy, then maybe that's the path he's chosen. But should it be a matter of whether the president is happy or not? An infraction is an infraction. And it infractions are quite so clear. It's the person who appoints and fires, right? So it's the president, the colonizer, <laughs> the, ball, the, court, the ball is in the court of the president, right? Mm. But the committee's report did not say he should be fired. Yes. Did it say? It did not. Well, but political uh, conclusions or, um, should I say, permutations are said that the minority says he should be fired. I am only asking the president, is he happy with his health minister? Okay. Interesting question from Frank Mikudu. And just a final message to wrap up. Uh, good morning to you and your panelists. Uh, the Face the Country protest is a wake-up call to politicians who hide behind Article 71 to enrich themselves and their colonies at the expense of poor ordinary Ghanaians. I suggest the leadership need to listen to uh, Ghanaians and scrap Article 71 from our constitution. Good morning to you and the host. For the good work you are doing from our motherland, Ghana, 
thank you to the Fix the Country group. I asked them to emphasize on the implementation of the uh, Constitutional Review Commission's recommendations. There is uh, nothing can be fixed if we still rely on the 1992 Constitution, which only favors politicians. This is Ezekiel from Kita. I guess this conversation around the 1992 Constitution will go on for quite a while. But this conversation must end. My name is Godfrey Akutubuafo. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Big Issue. Thank you to Franklin Kujo as well for passing through on another episode. We also thank our guests who joined us uh, via Zoom. Uh, join us next week for another episode of the program. Have a good weekend. When are you gonna say goodbye? Hey, Robert Mugabe, don't you think it's time to wait from here? Good afternoon and welcome to City News at 12 here on 97.3 City FM. The bulletin is live from our studio at number 11, Dr. Morton Loop in Adabraka, Accra, and also live across our partner stations and around the globe on citynewsroom.com. My name is Enu Safo. Coming up, the minority in Parliament calls for the resignation of the Health Minister over botched Sputnik V vaccine deal and overlord of Dagbon traditional area predicts food shortage in northern Ghana if fertilizer shortage in the country is not addressed. Also, governments to place restriction on soya bean exportation. The details now. The second Deputy Speaker of Parliament, Andrew Amwakwesiama, has deferred action on the report of the ad hoc committee set up to probe the procurement of Sputnik V vaccines through Sheikh Al Maktoum. During the debate, the minority demanded an amendment of the committee report to include a call for the dismissal of the health minister by the president or the passage of a vote of censure. The committee in its report recommended the recovery of 16 million Ghana cities paid the intermediary, but the deputy speaker in his ruling indicated that action will be taken on the report when the House returns from recess. Here is Minority Chief Whip Muntaka Mubarak on the floor of Parliament. I will not directly or indirectly reveal any matter that shall come to my knowledge 
in the discharge of my duties and committed to my secrecy as Minister of State. Unquote. Mr. Speaker, if you take this oath, it is beyond reasonable doubt, Mr. Speaker, to say the Minister did betray the oath of his office. The Minister betrayed the, the oath of his office and he failed to uphold the Constitution and the laws of our country. Mr. Speaker, for me, I must say the Minister must be sanctioned. The Minister must be removed by the President. He does not fit to occupy this office anymore. You heard Minority Chief Whip and MP for Asawase Mubarak Muntaka. Now, Chairman of the Ad Hoc Committee, Alexander Afenyo Markin, however, explained how the committee reached its conclusions after a series of public hearings. Yes, there were issues, constitutional as they were, but with the speaker, the underlying reason for the decision of the minister was well-founded. To the extent that, Mr. Speaker, that decision was to save lives, we must commend him. But to the extent that he erred, he erred in not seeking parliamentary approval prior to signing the contract, Mr. Speaker, the minister would have to take note of it so that in future such a thing does not reoccur. I am inviting the South to hold that notwithstanding constitutional matters that were obviously we must adopt support for the sake of posterity to guide the governance of this country. Mr. Speaker, all things being said, this report is, is good for democracy. You heard Chairman of the Ad Hoc Committee, Alexander Afenyo Markin. Now, the overlord of the Dagbon traditional area, Yana Abubakar Muhammad II, is predicting food shortages in the northern parts of the country if the shortage of fertilizers across the country is not addressed immediately. Yana Abubakar Muhammad II says farmers in the northern regions are struggling with farm inputs. Speaking at a meeting with President Takufuado as part of his two-day tour, of the northern region, Yana Abubakar Muhammad II says government must address the issue head on. Subsidized fertilizer and certified seeds were in abundance since you took the reins of government. This did not happen by mistake, but through your broad vision for the country's agricultural sector. Today, we are in the middle of the plowing and planting season. I'm inundated with reports of the lack of these essential agricultural inputs in the farming districts of northern region. Since our nation's food security and sufficiency still depends largely on annual crops, we need to sustain the progress made in the agriculture sector by ensuring the availability of inputs to farmers during the season. A little more waste of time will lead result in future food crisis for our regions and the country at large. I therefore would like to appeal to Your Excellency to take a serious look at the agriculture input supply regime this year and take appropriate measures to ensure the full flow of fertilizer in the system. Yana Abubakar Muhammad II there. Now, President Agufuado in response says measures have been put in place to rectify the situation. I'm aware of the difficulties we've had recently about the supply of fertilizers to our farmers. But believe me, that is now over and very soon. 
farmers here and across the country will be accessing the subsidized fertilizer like they did during my first term. And you can be sure that whatever assistance government can bring to make sure that the lion coming out of the, of the dark ends up as the lion in the light, we will work together for that purpose. You heard President Akufu Addo. Now, government is considering placing some restrictions on the exportation of soya beans. A Greek minister, Dr. Akutuafriye, says some farmers are exporting their proceeds to other countries to the detriment of Ghana. Speaking at the inauguration of the Soya Bean Export Permits Committee in Accra, Dr. Akutuafriye says the ban will inure to the benefit of the country. But the immediate reason why we're promoting soya, which is the poultry, is being affected by unlicensed exporters who, unbeknown officially to us, had been exporting from Tema. Poultry farmers are always on my back to say that there are all these containers going out and they don't have enough for their, 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 their business. So the pressure actually came from them that we should do something to regulate the market. As I said, potentially we could do a million metric tons. And as you know, the world price of soya is higher than, than that of maize. And therefore, uh, potentially we could be earning a lot of foreign exchange from export of soya in, in, in its processed form and even in the raw form of the beans. That was Minister for Agriculture, Dr. Akuto Efriye. Away from that, Energy Minister Dr. Matthew Pokuprempe is warning staff of the National Petroleum Commission and the National Petroleum Authority to desist from leaking sensitive information from their offices to industry players. Dr. Pokuprempe says such individuals will be fished out and punished. Speaking at the integration of the boards of the two institutions, Dr. Matthew Pokuprempe says such acts are unacceptable. Staff of the commission who will have friends outside the commission instead of being patriotic to them. I'll leave it like that because it's pregnant. Staff of the commission who have friends outside the commission to the detriment of Ghana and Nigeria. That is the number one big problem. And I hope that you look up to it. Uh, and the commission will find out what is going on. Those who are leaking information by benefit of being in the commission and leaking information to other third bodies to use against government, we are watching. And this board must ensure that unless you are acting rightly, that they will have a problem. There should be no secret camp. You heard Energy Minister Dr. Matthew Opoku-Prempe. Now, the Ghana National Association of Teachers, NAT, is appealing to President Okufuado to set up a commission to look into the salary levels of public sector workers. NAT says some colleagues in the public sector take more salaries than others. NAT is rejecting the recent 4% increment in salaries announced recently by government. At a national delegates conference in Koforidia in the eastern region, NAT's president, Philippa Larson, says the president must act immediately.
The current system of remuneration in the public sector is not fair. It favors some categories of office holders in the public service. And we are not going to agree. We are asking the President of the Republic, His Excellency Mama Dodankwa Ekufuadu, to, as a matter of agency, initiate a process of setting up a commission to look at salary levels for public sector workers in the country. We are calling on the president, otherwise there will be no peace, and the country will become ungovernable. You heard the president of the Ghana National Association of Teachers, Philippa Lassen. That's how we end the news at midday here on 97.3 City FM. The bulletin was live from our studio at number 11, Dr. Morton Loop in Adabraka, Accra. For more news, log on to our website, citynewsroom.com. My name is Inosafo. Good afternoon. City News. We